Are you a retail store owner looking for superior point-of-sale software for your retail business? Get better point-of-sale software with more in-depth reports. Connect to your e-commerce site. Get RFID inventory tracking. And use open-to-buy planning with Retail Pro powered by Complete Data Systems. Go to cdspos.com for a free demo in pricing. Musicians identify themselves through their art. They are personally influenced by other artists. Those artists identify with their influences, and so on. I've long said that heartbreak makes the best art, and even more specifically, heartbreak makes the best music. But a very close second is identity crisis. Who am I? Where am I going? How did I get here? Same as it ever was. Five albums into their career, the members of King's X felt like their career was going nowhere, and they were looking for their identity. They had a legion of loyal fans, but they never really found the success in mainstream music. The de facto leader of the group, Doug Pinnock, was in the middle of a personal crisis of his own, not just musically, but spiritually. They were at a crossroads, both collectively and individually. So, they enlisted a burgeoning supernova producer to help them create a new sound on their albums that was more representative of their live act, literally taking inspiration from themselves. And from that moment forward, King's X changed their entire modus operandi for recording albums while creating one of the most influential albums of the grunge era that, oddly enough, most people have never heard of. Hopefully, that changes a bit today as we introduce to you one of our favorite albums of all time, the 1994 Halcyon release from King's X, Dogman. Our favorite albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artist, not us. We just have to tell... Motherfucker. We're just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is our favorite album. Welcome to Our Favorite Albums, a music review podcast where we dissect albums in full spin format and tell you all the reasons why they are our favorites. I'm your host, Michael. I'm joined by my co-host, Jason. What's going on? Today, we're discussing the 1994 album by King's X titled Dogman. This is a very special entry into our catalog of podcast episodes. And Jason, tell me why this is so special. Well, I, I am... So excited to be talking about this album. <laughs> this is one of my absolute, as you mentioned uh, in your intro, this is one of our favorite albums, but this is personally, uh, this is my selection, one of my absolute favorite albums of all time. Um, 
if you'll remember when we did our favorite songs, you know, right. our initial, entry podcast, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, King's X made it into my top five favorite songs of all time. That's right. Uh, off of a different album and for different reasons. Um, however, I think this is this album is just it, it is just up there in this this pantheon of great music that came out in the early nineties. Right. Um, you know, all, all the the bands that we talk about all the time, right? The Pearl Jams, the Sound Gardens, this great, you know, the Stone Temple Pilots, this great the Black Crows, there's great stuff that's out in this time period, right? And this came out right in the middle of all when all these other great albums were coming out as well, and is so underappreciated by the vast majority of everyone, not by the bands. And you know what's weird uh, is not, that- not by any of those musicians I mentioned either. I mean, we're oh talking yeah, about that yeah. Album. But what's weird about this album? And again, you said that this is your choice. I'll cover just uh, in, in a second uh, some of the specifics on how we, we run our podcast. But what's weird about this album, as you and I go through these uh, and do research, uh, obviously it's an album that you know very well because it's it's your choice and one you've listened to a bunch. Uh, but still, you research a bit and you, mm-hmm. you learn a lot about absolutely. The, absolutely. The, the albums and the artists and the, the artwork and all the stuff that goes into it. Uh, but one of the things that I found so remarkable about this uh, is that it is not derivative of anything at all. It happened in 1994, and two of the Supernova grunge albums that I always talk about, Nirvana's Nevermind, Pearl Jam's 10, and Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger, mm-hmm. uh, that two of those artists released albums this year. Not only did they release albums, but did uh, In Utero come out in 94? Oh, no, I... Mm, no, I don't think so. But Pearl Jam and Soundgarden 90- both had albums in 94. Yeah. So. But my, my point is, though, that Soundgarden and Pearl Jam... Both took their inspiration from King's X. Yeah, big fans. Yeah, uh, big big fans. Um, we we were talking about that before about Jeff Ament, who's the bass player for Pearl Jam, and how right. uh, what a huge fan he is of Doug. Yeah. Um, and the, they, you you told me something I didn't know, which that Pearl Jam actually had Doug on their uh, second album to do background vocals, yeah, which had, I was not aware of. On on the album uh, verses that came out in '93, mm-hmm. uh, there's a song called Dissident, and we all know that song. It's a great song. Here's here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's Doug Pinnock. That's the crazy. Bass player and singer of King's X on that Do, album. Yeah. yeah, there you go. If this is the first time you've checked us out, allow me to give you a brief intro and some guidelines to the Our Favorite Albums format. Jason and I take turns choosing an album, and then we spend the next few weeks listening to that album on repeat. We are researching that album, trying to figure out how to play it on guitar. Then we'll throw open these microphones and talk about it right here in front of you for the first time. Very rarely do we discuss this between each other leading up to it. So that when you're hearing us talk about this, this is really the discussion that we're having together after we've listened to it and bringing our perspective. So this isn't rehearsed. This is us talking about this together, uh, about one of our favorite albums. And most importantly, this is not a ranking of best albums ever. I've said that before, but no, it's not. We're definitely not. We're not doing our best albums ever. Uh, And often these are going to be not run of the mill pop albums that uh, you may have been exposed to usually that is the case yeah yeah now we've had some big artists that we've talked about before i mean you had bruce springsteen last time for crying out loud you know so but but these are our favorite albums you know Uh, these aren't the albums we think are best these are our favorite albums uh and they're albums that we think you should like as well and so that's why we bring this format to you this way well and and speaking of you should like this album um you, you should like this album this is a great album if you uh if you uh like michael and i are 
if you're our age, if you grew up and listening to late 80s, 90s rock, um, if you're a fan of the early Lollapalooza bands, the grunge stuff, um, th- this is an album that if you're not aware of, you should be listening to. Yeah, you um, absolutely should. Uh, so uh, what I don't want to do is I don't want to turn this into a biopic of King's X. Definitely um, not. Because this is one of your favorite groups. And so at some point we will go back and we will do like an origin story of King's X. <laughs> sure. Well, well let's, uh, h- how about this? How about we take a, uh, just like a quick jump at how we got to this album. Yeah. You mentioned the, the differences and the changes. I mean, this is this is markedly different than the first few albums that they had, which most people would probably be more familiar. They had radio play and MTV play and yeah. things like that for some stuff. So we're, we're doing a, like this is our version of Star Wars: A New Hope. We start on Episode Four. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> we're starting on Episode Five for this one. Yeah. And twenty years later, we'll come back and do uh, Gretchen Wilson, Nebraska. Yeah. So the, the, the quick overview: I mean, Kings X is a Houston band, mm-hmm. um, late eighties uh, progressive metal, but definitely what you would think of when you think of eighties metal. You know, big, huge arrangements yeah. and lots of guitar playing and things. But, that, and, and you know what? I want to go back even farther than that. Yeah, go so, for it. Uh, these guys came about as a gospel trio uh, playing praise music I was going to say when, when you say gospel I don't want anybody that's listening to get the idea that there was like banjos and th- things like that it was, <laughs> yeah. that it was not that kind it was you know, more um, like Christian rock I right. guess if you will right. yeah, yeah. Uh, so King's X is a trio there are three people in the band uh, most prominently and most recognizable is Doug Pinnock the singer and the bass player and He's- might I add a vocal range on this guy this is pretty is incredible. Incredible. He's yeah. also like nine four, so uh, <laughs> he, he's tall. I think he's actually six two, so he's about our. Well, height. yeah, but he was nine four when he had the mohawk. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you may recognize King's X uh, or Doug Pinnock from King's X. Uh, he's a tall, thin, black man, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of unusual for fronting was, a rock band at the time, yeah, especially hard rock band like yeah. this. Yeah, uh, and he he wore a, a, a very tall mohawk, a very long. Mohawk, so shaved on the side and was very recognizable. Uh, if you've seen The Last of the Mohicans, he looks like it's yeah, the same haircut from some of the characters in there, yeah. Tall, lanky guy with these long arms, and he wore his bass slung really low. Down at the knees, yeah. practically. It's insane. And yeah. typically when he would perform, he would perform shirtless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he was he was a spectacle on stage, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, played left-handed. Uh, 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 keep that in mind, folks. This is a left-handed <laughs> black guitar singer plays a bass guitar but still right. uh, we'll come back to that when we get uh, into Play, the played album. a 12 string bass on the early albums including yeah. this one I might also add which is just another thing that's nuts like, yeah just th- this guy is just he's off the charts he's crazy yeah, yeah. Um, was such an incredible musician grew up in a big family in Illinois I believe I uh, was in to it, I can't remember who he hooked up with, but there was a popular contemporary Christian music artist uh, that he played with in the early '80s. Somehow he uh, he bumps up against a drummer uh, through a side project with the singer of Petra, who was right. a Christian rock band, uh, and he meets up with Jerry Gaskell. Right. The great Jerry Gaskell, who's yeah. the drummer for King's X, also background vocals, and writes quite a few, quite a bit of lyrics, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, he, uh, your song that you mentioned from our top ten, Summerland, Summerland. Uh, was yeah. Jerry Gaskell. He had a lot to do with that, yeah. yeah. Uh, quite a drummer, and such a heavy-hitting drummer. I, I he hits very hard. I think that would be the, uh, the thing that you would say most about him as, as, from a drummer's perspective. He hits hard, yeah. very hard. So we have Doug Pinnock on bass and singing. We have uh, Jerry Gaskell on drums and, and background vocals. Background. Yeah. Uh, and the third in this is Ty Tabor. The great Ty Tabor. Yeah. Uh, one of the most underappreciated guitar players of all time, I think. Yeah. Uh, these guys in the 80s uh, were 
they were doing praise music. They were playing gigs in churches and stuff around Houston. Somehow they, they hooked up with some a contemporary Christian record label and ended up moving to Houston. And that's when they met Sam Taylor. Right. Sam Taylor, uh, who kind of took them under his wing for better or for worse, but who guided their career initially. So, uh, so then he guides them out of the silent planets. Their first, uh, they were on metal force at the time was the record label, um, guides their first release. And so out of the silent planets, a big proggy 1980s type album. So, so we talk about, Prog a lot, proggy, progressive rock. Music. Yeah, that's progressive rock. Uh, when we say progressive rock, uh, the the most recognizable progressive rock band is Rush. Rush, sure. Uh, also, a group like Yes. Uh, if you want to go deep dive, then a group like King Crimson. Sure. If you want to go recent, then you would do a, a group like Tool. Uh, these are hard rock, heavy metal type bands that are incredible musicians, and they're singing about very very deep subject material. Sure, and right? the, and the, the music tends to be outside of the sphere of just bridge, chorus, yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, guitar solo out. You know, there, there tends to be like some quite a bit more to it than it's that. And, 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 yeah, yeah it's, it's complicated is a great way to put it. I think we talked about that in our initial podcast a little bit. It's kind of hard to uh, – it's, uh, it's a moving target what progressive rock actually is, right? Yeah. It's, it's, prog- it's a progressive target, if sure. you will. Yeah. Uh, so to, to – handcuff myself and keep myself from doing the origin story. That yeah, we've, we've actually been doing some of yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, These guys uh, got into heavy metal. They toured with ACDC and Motley Crue and I don't know, all, all the cock rock type bands that like just make my skin crawl now. <laughs> um, but that's what these guys were doing. They were a, they were a metal band for you know, uh-huh. they, they, they were. And, I mean, they were on the radio. They, they had some MTV success uh, with their third album a little bit and the fourth album as well. And so, yeah, so this, this is a band that's been around for a while. Uh, they come out of the 80s. Um, now we're in 94 and they've they've had success. They've toured and they are now here, yeah. which is the album we're here to talk about. They, so. they, they've made their way up to Atlantic Records. Now, once they, get, once they get to Atlantic Records, one of the issues that they've always had uh, is as a Christian rock band, they just didn't fit in. Uh, as a heavy metal band with a black singer, they didn't fit in. Uh, they had a hard time finding their footing. Yeah, their uh, niche, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they, they never really had the big big success that a band that is as good as they are should have had. had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Doug Pinnock, uh, I've seen interviews with him, and I, I wouldn't say that he's bitter. I, th- I think that there are uh, there are things where he's you know he's very he's a very smart person. I think he's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. I think he's very eloquent uh, in the way that uh, that he presents kind of his thoughts and sure, the way he sure. writes his music. Uh, but he says. There's a black guy on stage. These heavy metal, heavy metal guys out in the suburbs, they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. Right. And so, he, you know, he, he dealt with the fact that he was dealing with this, like, identity crisis from an early time. Right? Well, it, it, there's definitely that aspect of it without question. But then also, anybody that's heard the early King's X stuff especially, where do you fit in on the radio when you're playing in drop D and you're loud and you're fast and you're heavy and you have these complicated arrangements and you have three-part harmonies? Yeah. I mean, that's... And it's not so, it of, sounds like praise music. You yeah, know? there's not a lot of three-part harmonies on rock and roll radio. Right. I mean, there's still not for that. I mean, there never has been. I mean, that's kind of an unusual thing. So sure. there, there, there's so much about this band um, that just doesn't fit into an easily marketed and packaged thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really good way to describe that. You know, and, and I think they fought with that because I think they they thought they should have been bigger. You know, they were opening for ACDC. Well, and you know, let's uh, 
on that subject, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So, yeah. I mean, in 94, so in the studio in 93, in 94, this album comes out. You know, you're talking about a band that they played, uh, you mentioned all the bands that they'd opened for. Um, they were at Woodstock in 94. Yeah. You know, and they were on, I think it was the Friday night. They were Slot. on, I mean, they were on the main the, stage. I mean, this, this was the six o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. If you watch the videos of that, there are tens of thousands of kids out there just rocking out to yeah. them, just having so much fun because they were exposed to them and they were fantastic. And right. they were on at that slot because the music, music people liked them. Mm, I've got a story for you. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, you may not know this, but the guy who put together uh, the promoter for Woodstock, uh, for Woodstock 94, which was a huge right. uh, concert but before we had these massive concerts like South by Southwest and uh, the ACL Fest in Austin, um, Woodstock kind of came out of nowhere. And so right. these guys had this massive, massive um, uh, revamping of Woodstock uh, was, in New York. It was insane, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they had, it, it was uh, Perry Farrell. Was, no, uh, Perry Farrell wasn't That's involved. That's Lollapalooza. He was Lollapalooza. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember uh, who, um, who kind of put this together, but when the whole thing came together, it came after Lollapalooza. Right. And so they decided to do Woodstock 94. Yeah, the big festival thing was kind of taking off in the early 90s. Yeah. Lots of success, yeah. They, they called it the Summer of Glove. If you remember, <laughs> because right, at that do. time they were trying to get people to use to condoms. use the gloves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the promoter of that, uh, I mentioned in the intro that King's X had a loyal legion of fans, and one of those fans was the promoter, which is why they got. And so he he told them early on in their career when um uh, when uh, eat lo- eat eat pray love what, what's the Peace, love. Faith, hope, love. That's it. Faith, hope, love, yeah. <laughs> e pray, love is a whole other topic. Man, that's a different podcast. Uh, when, back in like 90 and 92, when that was coming out, this guy was a big fan of them. And he told them, if I ever have a big show, you guys are going to be headlining it. Right. And I'll be damned if, if Friday. he didn't pull. Yeah. And so these guys come out at Friday in the headliner spot, and no one knew who they were. At, at Woodstock, and they came out and completely destroyed it. Destroyed it. And, and, and seriously, if you're listening at home and uh, you're not you're not familiar with King's X and maybe think we're exaggerating, go to YouTube and look up King's X Woodstock and just watch. They had a 30-minute set. I think it was six songs or something like that. Okay. And uh, But you can watch the cameras panning out into the audience and the, the mad amounts of kids that are just moshing to this yeah. and crowd surfing and just having – like they completely wrecked it. Um, I was reading this today, and I don't have the – I could not find the USA Today headline, but it was quoted – by an author that said USA Today after that weekend ranked them as one of the top five shows of the whole weekend. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. Metallica played there. Think Insane. of all the other bands that played there that yeah, weekend, Insane. right? And Doug Pinnock, um, you talk about him being you know bitter versus not bitter, but he talks about the fact that you know, after they played at Woodstock, they sold 200 records in New York. Everybody else sold thousands. That's crazy. Just in... It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't it doesn't make, make any sense. sense. Yeah, it, was it because he was black? Is that the thing? I, I I think it's just because they're they're so much fun to see live. But they're like like we talk. There's so much, and, and I don't I, I don't think it can all be pinned on that. I mean, they definitely like he doesn't he doesn't look like all the other singers. Right. But I think it's the the instrumentation and the singing. I, I think I they're that. just two different. I think it's like Rush. I mean, if you went to Rush concerts for thirty years, it was predominantly one demographic. Yeah. <laughs> Nerdy white guys, yeah, right? Yeah, the, nerdy nerdy the, white rock and roll the guys. Nerdy white rock and roll guys, and that's that it. probably right? played an instrument. Exactly. I mean, so there's some music just doesn't appeal to everybody, and that's just the way it goes. Um, there's a there's a quote from that. There's a guy by the name of Ray Daniels who's a Canadian music exec, and Doug Pennant quotes him. As, he said, Ray told him that uh, you guys are like fine wine. Those that love you, love you. 
those who don't just don't care. Wow. It's like nobody hates you. Like you guys are perfectly great, but the people <laughs> that love you love you, and the people that don't love you just they don't care. And n- nobody hates you; they just don't care. Man, and so here these guys are. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, they they, they play the headliner at Woodstock '94, and they still don't get, they still don't get big. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, and so I mean, the, the, could you imagine that kind of that kind of crisis that you'd be going through, where um, it, you can't figure out what the recipe is, and so they decide that whatever they've done on their Albums that they've had up to this point. You that, said that's were, a great. There, that, were, there were four or five. Yeah, there were four, this four. This is number five. Okay, yeah. and that's so, a great segue because that's where I wanted to go here. So good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they decided that what they were always missing on their albums, which were mixed well, you know, they they sound nice, um, but what they were missing was they were missing that feeling of their live shows. Which okay, so they're. Have you seen Kings X live? Uh, not live. I've seen them uh, live recording. Video. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay, but I've never seen them live. I've been to several shows. Mm-hmm. They are an incredible live band and they have so much energy and that that's a huge that's a huge piece of it i think is that uh the energy of the show not just how loud they are because they are very very yeah. loud i mean <laughs> like rock your teeth feelings loud yeah but is there's so much energy like huge amounts of energy and that's that's really what they were missing if you go back and listen to some of the earlier albums sure. they're, technically they're perfect and well, like you said they're mixed fine but they don't sound live. They, they, they don't have the energy. They, that's the thing. It's not stale. I think when um because I I knew of King's X, um and probably indicative of exactly what Doug was talking about. I always got them confused with Fishbone, and why? Because, because they have the a black singer. Was black. Yeah, uh, and so, <laughs> I, and then when when you were telling me about when you and I first met um, over a decade ago, uh, and you were telling me how much you love King's X, I pulled up some of their albums and listened to them, and I was like, this sounds like praise music to me. I mean, I, right, I, I, sure. don't, I don't get it. I mean, sure. It's good praise music, but I, I just don't get well it. Well-crafted, well-executed, yeah. but not my thing. Sure. But, but but there was a reason to that, because they were they were mixing in Christian uh, concepts uh, that they, they held over from their early days. It's in their lyrics. You can go see they were still pushing uh, a lot of their Christian beliefs. Well, and the, the guys it's, are, it's in the music, yeah, right? But, yeah, the guys are really well-read. Uh, they they write kind of complicated philosophical stuff a lot of times. I mean, not always, especially yeah. not in the later, like these albums and stuff, but the early stuff, like what you're talking right. about. Yeah. Well, well, leading up to this, they didn't like the way that their music sounded on albums. Uh, Doug was, again... Having some struggles trying to figure out why he wasn't bigger than he was. And then at this point, he also starts having a couple of crises uh, personally. The first thing is he starts to lose his religion. Sure. Yeah. He's, he, his, his, his religious crisis yeah. was, a, was a big deal. And so if he felt like the fans that are out there who buy the records uh, aren't supporting him, and he thinks that there's a reason for that, uh, and now he starts feeling that crisis of his religion— he has one other thing that he's starting to grapple with, and it's the fact that he's gay. <laughs> right. And so he has so many personal crises happening all at once. Yeah, and that's I, – I don't rem- I don't think that that was particularly public at this – I mean, this was a while before yeah. it came out. He but came this out was in 98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we got four or five more years before – Yeah. Four from the time of this album, the Woodstock we're talking about, yeah. And so you have this, this band that just – But like, this is going on at – this yeah. is going on at the time. Yeah. This is something that's bothering him, yeah. And so, and, and he's just trying to figure out, where am I? Like, how did I get to this point? And why am I not bigger? And the rest of the band members are trying to figure out, like, what is it? What are we not doing? Yeah, so uh, so uh, I, I, saw, I read an interview where uh, the, the band guys were talking about that. And after Woodstock, you know, after this, like, insane performance, and then nobody cares, uh, there's this great 
performance of them doing Dogman on John Stewart. John Stewart show. Oh, yeah. it's so so but goddamn before, good. Before the Daily Show, John Stewart had his yeah, own show. He had his own TV yeah. show. He yeah, was on MTV, show. I think. Yeah. Wasn't that MTV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's got them on there, and they just blow the roof off the joint. But if it. you look, Ty has shaved his head. If you look at when they were at Woodstock, he's got this long, flowing rock and roll hair. And evidently, he was just like so, like, this was like a reaction. He was just like, we just went out and kicked the ass of everybody at Woodstock. And nobody gives a shit. And he's just like, I was just like, sh-. and he like shaves his head. And if you watch him on uh, John Stewart, he looks like a dad at a, his girl's softball practice. <laughs> right? Shorts. Yeah, he's got like. <laughs> Like these stupid shorts on and just like whatever T-shirt he had in the suitcase, you know, and he shaved his head and he's just kind of sitting there playing like he doesn't care anymore. I mean, it's got to be tough to like, I mean, these guys have been at this for a decade at this point, you know, and you're on MTV and you're you're doing this, you're doing this, and still nobody's getting it. That's got to be frustrating. Well, here these guys are. Uh, They're at the point where they want to change up everything. Uh, The singer's having a personal crisis. The rest of the band members are having issues trying to figure out why have we figured this out just yet. And then they get to the point where they go, you know what? Sam Taylor, guy who's Time our go. producer, guy who's who's our manager, who's been our mentor. You and I no longer have the same concepts of what this band is. Yeah, and so Sam Sam Taylor is a uh, Houston guy. Uh, he's most famous for Kings X, but he also had the Galactic Cowboys. Okay. back in the eighties, I yeah. don't know if you remember them, but yeah, they course. were you know, kind of once again uh, r- religiously heavy heavy progressive metal yeah. kind of band right but anyway uh, but not only was he their manager he was their producer he was i mean he was their every like he was this guy was big deal with them and so when they decided to split with him that was huge he was big right yeah. and they had worked their way up uh, up up the ladder to get to the main label of atlantic yeah he'd gotten them from metal force to atlantic i mean so give credit where it's due he had done some good things for the yeah. band yeah. uh and and as we get into the the out the songs here, uh, the, the bitterness is palatable. The, oh yeah, uh, the, the uh, they're talking about how there is a song on here specifically that I think is about their relationship with him. Yeah, that's my opinion on the yeah. subject, but I, I think so. But Jason, the song, the whole album starts off with the title track "Dogman." Dogman, and it is uh, being bitter towards the way that the recording executives and studio and everything treats uh, them. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so let's uh. Before we get into that, although I've listened to this album a bazillion times, and I still cannot wait for you to click play and for us to start talking over it. Right. I'm actually excited to listen to it again. You know? yeah. But I want to talk about something that you were talking about. Uh, talking about, uh, I said talking three times in the same sentence. That's like Saturday. <laughs> as far as moving from him to the new producer, we mentioned that Brendan O'Brien was the producer on We this. haven't mentioned Brendan O'Brien. Well, we talked about it in the beginning, just we did. very briefly. Yep. For those of you who... Okay, so Brendan... Uh, Doug says Brendan actually came to him and said, I want to do an album with you. Okay. And that that's probably the truth. Um, regardless, Brendan and King's X decided to do an album together. And you and I being music nerds, it occurs to me that we know who Brendan O'Brien is. But there may be a lot of people that have no idea who we're talking about. So Brendan O'Brien is a... Uh, Producer, engineer, mixer, or some combination of that. Musician? Yeah, just on tons and tons and tons of things. This guy makes records. He does. So just in the time period leading up, the very short couple years leading up to this album, uh, he was in some capacity, whether it was engineer, producer, mixer, whatever. Black Crow, Shake Your Money Maker, Pearl Jam 10, Temple of the Dog, Temple of the Dog, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Wow. Black Crows, Southern Harmony Musical Companion. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Core. Soundgarden, Super Unknown, Stone Temple Pilots, Purple, Pearl Jam, Vitology. Do you catch a theme here that the bands that use him keep going back to him for some capacity yeah. over and over? 
those are just a few. If you go pull up his like list, it'll go pages and pages and pages. Like this guy was so instrumental in all of these foundational albums of the '90s, especially the early '90s. That are just so important and so awesome. Yeah. Like this guy had an ear for making things sound like they should. And those albums all sound fantastic. They, they really do, uh, and, and they all sound very similar. Uh, the, but well, they're all diff- very different music, though. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The but, Black Crowes doesn't sound anything like Red Hot Chili no, Peppers. No, 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 yeah. no. No, but I, I mean the sound itself. I, I don't mean the yes. songs. It, it's the big. Sound. It's full. It's rich. It's live. It's, it's, it's live. Like, it yeah. sounds like a live performance yeah. of, of what we're watching here. Like, like right? the band is right in front of you. You may not know this, folks, but there was there were a group of musicians uh, in the '60s uh, that were all session musicians, and they were known as the Wrecking Crew. Uh, it was a bunch of folks that were just day trader musicians that were hired to come into uh, into the studio in the 60s. And there was a time where something like 35 of every single song in the top 40 had the had those guys crew. playing on yeah. it. Yeah. And they were star makers. And so if you go back and listen to the Beach Boys, the Beach Boys used the Wrecking Crew. The Monkees used the Wrecking Crew. The Motown Singers. The, uh, the, the I mean, you, you name it. They were there, right? Yeah, those guys just rolled in and did yeah. it. Glenn Campbell was a guitarist for the Wrecking Crew. Uh, Carol Kay, who was who's a, a lady uh, bass player, uh, she was such an influential person that they're not even sure how many recordings she's been on. And so, if, if you she go was back, on so many, they couldn't credit her for all of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you look at the zeitgeist of what was happening in '60s rock and roll and pop, uh, it was it's all the because crew. of the yeah. Wrecking Crew. Now, that yeah. being said. And, and, and here comes. Yeah, we're talking about the grunge era, and Jason just listed off a, a who's who of grunge supernova hits, and they were all done by one guy, and that was Brendan O'Brien. That that to me is absolutely fascinating. Well, I, I think that's that's insane, right? Yeah. And uh, th- that, that that's why I wanted to bring that up because you need to. Everybody needs to understand. That's why one of the reasons this is such a big album is because I mean, this guy who did. All of these albums, everybody wanted to work with him. I mean, this is the who's who of rock and roll in the early 90s. He wanted to work with King's X. He knew who they were. He sought he, out King's yeah, X. Yeah, he, he wanted yeah. to work with them. He had respect for them, and yeah. he thought he could make them sound good. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting thing when we talk about grunge, because I, Jason and I are both grunge folks. Uh, we love grunge. We think it's the, the the greatest era of music. Obviously, it's when we in our most formative years. Sure. Um what is grunge? People talk about what is grunge. Uh, you know, if you hear grunge, you just immediately think of Nirvana and, uh, you know, the, the whole like marble mouth singing and all that stuff. But there was a lot more to grunge. Grunge was a bit of a hybrid that came from the 90s, uh, the 80s, that glam metal, that cock rock, that, uh, you know, pentatonic and everything has to be perfect and big smiles and kind of happiness. Uh, whereas as that started to fade into the 90s, you had bands that were maybe a little more punk rock. And so they mixed that punk with, sure. with that glam. And what you got was grunge. I, I think that's uh, that, that's a pretty good definition. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the early Seattle bands, um, there's such a wide variance in what was grunge, right? Yeah. Like Mud Honey doesn't sound anything like Pearl Jam. Yeah, or STP. Or yeah. St- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the guys like you know Pearl Jam and Allison Chains, the musicianship level was at, at a very very high level mm-hmm. and then i would argue that like bands like nirvana with the exception of dave grohl who's one of my favorite drummers of all time but uh, there's not a lot going on there right so it's it's yeah. not just 
it's just it's a particular kind of an attitude in a time and a place that really kind of puts you into that bucket. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, it was it was still thrashy. It was kind of heavy. You know, big yeah. big two and four beats, uh, lots of guitar, and it was like distorted guitar. You know, you could take the musicianship that Pearl Jam had and uh, change the clothes and the singing style and the lyrical composition, and, and those guys could fit right in in the '80s because sure. they were really really good. At Soundgarden, I mean, those Soundgarden guys started off that way. Well, actually, yeah. Know? If you listen to their first album, "Louder Than Love," it fits right in with everything else yeah. that's on the radio you know, at the time. Uh, home, homegrown right here, Pantera was a Dallas uh, Dallas band. Those guys started off as a glam uh, rock yeah, sure, band. You sure. know, uh, now, now th- when they morphed, this is where the split happened. Where you had that punk and that indie and that alternative. Of feel that's where grunge kind of took its its turn uh, because they weren't the pretty folks the guys in the heavy metal in the 90s they went this really weird way where it was like industrial and right like just kind of weird right yeah no that, that's a good point yeah uh, neither one was really derivative of the of the other but they both were born from the same like evolutional well uh, evolutionary it, sure and then there's like this zeitgeist in the early 90s with you know it's combat boots and flannel and a lot of that is you know obviously what's coming out of the music scene but there just there's an overall uh rebellion against the theatrical costumes and stupidity yeah. of 80s bands it's, it's always yeah. effort yeah. Every, every single like you go back to like the 60s uh and the way the 60s happened uh look at the beatles Right when they first started, it was a lot of effort, and then what happened to the Beatles is they like morphed into like hippies, right? So sure. there was no effort. Uh, the same thing with like David Bowie when he first started off, there was like tons of effort, and uh, you know just like with the makeup, and he's this creature from outer space, and then he the turns Ziggy into right. yeah the the thin white Duke, and so it's just like cocaine fueled, and then he's just wearing a party. suit and looking yeah. like every other asshole in the early eighties. Yeah. yeah, and so the, like music, popular music always goes from like full effort to zero effort. So uh, <laughs> well, everything's a, everything's a <laughs> Pendulum back yeah. and forth, right? So, <laughs> so you have hippie music, and then you have uh, disco music, and then you have punk music, which is no effort. Then you have the eighties glam, which is full effort, and from eighties glam, you have grunge, which was no effort again. Uh, well, okay, no no effort on the image thing. Uh, right, I'll give you that. Right, but mu- musically, I I think there's a, po- a point they, they to be made good, there. They were yeah. good, they were good musicians, but I just mean as far as just the the the, 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 the appearance, the, the, the yeah, 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 sure, the, the, the appeal, and the thing is that once grunge became efforted you know and people were like literally going out and spending 150 dollars for doc martens then grunge lost its appeal and what happened to it and we we got hip-hop 90s which was yeah and and, and you but then you get the same thing that happens with every genre which is eventually they just sign everybody that looks like whoever's popular at the point i I forget who it was that said this but uh they were like it was one of the early 90s seattle musicians and uh, like everybody's trying to mimic the flannel shirts and the combat boots but like literally that's all they have at the thrift stores <laughs> yeah. That's why we all wear this shit because we play guitar all day. We don't have jobs. We just go to thrift stores. Yeah. We all we all look the same because we shop at the same same thrift stores. You know? Well, once we got to that point where grunge became the everything, when you had bands like Days of the New, well, all they were trying to do is just Pearl Jam. Oh sure, right? absolutely. Um, you had Smashing Bumpkins that started first, and then you had uh, who did Superman's Dead? What was that band? Oh, uh, what is the name of that I'm band? Who is that? Uh, I'll think of it in just a second, but I mean. It, they were just copying Billy Corgan, right? So exactly. They yeah. were copying this. Well, here's the thing that I'm trying to get to with this big long conversation about. Boy, did we take a yeah but long I, way there? But, but I, I know talk, I knew you're going, and you, this go is there. Inspiration. Go there because Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam, one of the architects of the one of the three Supernova grunge albums that I talk about, he says that King's X created the grunge sound. 
He does. He he absolutely loves King's X. He's yeah. a massive fan. And so you will not find a bigger musician who is a bigger fan of another band. I think we're we're talking Pearl Jam. Yeah. Who who, who like one of the architects of grunge? <laughs> they're saying that this band, not from Seattle, not involved in in this wave of Nirvana or whatever. This the, this this weird trio with a nine foot black dude with a mohawk yeah. from Houston is who we look at for our inspiration. This yeah. band that most people have never heard of before, who has a who has an outlandishly different looking singer who also is a crazy sound. Yeah, who who's also happens to be gay and came from Christian rock. They're the ones who started all well, of grunge. Well, and I'll tell you what, uh, you know, back in the the 90s like being in studios in Austin and playing stuff whenever uh, King's X came to town, it was funny because you kind of like you could be at the studio and maybe they're playing later that night maybe they're playing the next night but you know these are big huge studios lots of people rehearsing all the time and you get to know people as you're moving in and out and in inevitably you'd be like talk to the guys in the rehearsal room next to you what do you got oh, yeah, I'm going to King's X oh yeah yeah absolutely are you going to King's X of course I'm going to King's X you know why are there 15 people in the rehearsal studio all in King's X t-shirts all of a sudden you know it's like <laughs> but musicians love these guys musicians musicians, musicians love these guys yeah. you know i and not, I know there are some musicians that like them more than others. I don't mean to overgeneralize. There's some great musicians out there that I'm sure aren't fans. But as a general rule, in my experience, musicians like King's X. They're yeah. kind of a musician's band. I think you're right. Uh, this is going to be the heaviest album that we've done to date. Uh, we're yes. probably, we're, we will do heavier albums, but you need to brace yourself. Uh, this is this is hard rock. This doesn't right? sound anything like Nebraska, that's for sure. Not at all. Or anything else that we picked for that matter. Well, and to be fair, this sounded nothing like the King's X albums from before. That is also yeah. correct. So, interesting point on that um i don't know if this is an appropriate segue but i'm going to go into it so they have we've talked about this before um they played a lot of stuff in drop d mm-hmm. um you know it's where you take the for those of you playing along at home if you don't know it's where you take the top the low string on your guitar and you tune it down a step uh, it makes for some really cool sounds lots of bands from the 90s did it tool does it all the time yeah. i mean led zeppelin did it, it i mean it, it's, it makes it's been around for a while t- yeah, yeah it's a deeper tone it, it gives you a heavier like more interesting thing to do so they'd done that for a while when they got to this album they actually Took the guitar, took the instruments, tuned them down a whole step, and then tuned and then the drop sound again. So now we're in like drop C, drop if C. you will. But <laughs> but because they tuned everything else down anyway, you're still playing in drop D. You're just playing an entire octave lower and then yeah. tuning down again. So yeah. th- this was an experiment. Once again, they're just let's have some fun. Let's do some different things. Yeah. But that contributes so much to the heavy sound. You know, you get so much of that thickness and, you know, and a lot of, this is, this is very influential, but a lot of the new metal stuff that came about in the early aughts, which I absolutely hate, but a lot of those guys all would tune down to C just because when you go lower, your singer can get higher, yeah. right? You yeah. know, and so, but there's a huge amount of bands like five, six, ten years later that were all tuning down to C to get these big, huge, fat, heavy sounds. The crazy tones. Yeah, but yeah. King's X was doing it. The thing what they were doing is they were doing it and they were singing three-part harmonies over the top yeah. of it. They weren't yeah. growling and screaming. You know, they were actually performing. When you have three guys in the band and they're all exceptional musicians at their instrument and they can also all three sing and then harmonize That's a together. special thing. Yeah, yeah that, that, I mean, that, that's pretty impressive stuff that they were able to do. Well, it is. And, you know, uh, reviewers like Rolling Stone, uh, you know, famously and others called them Beatlesque harmonies. They were, I mean, who, they else were are you going, who else are you going to compare doing three-part harmonies than the Beatles? Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Okay, there um, you go. You know, some of the... Um, but, I mean, 
you don't go Crosby, Stills, and Nash esque harmonies. I guess you know Beatles esque just makes more sense. But but it, to your point, that's right. I mean, this isn't this is a '60s thing. I mean, these are yeah. There's not a lot of even if you got background vocals in '80s and '90s stuff, not a lot of these big huge harmonies going on. Yeah, it's I mean, pretty it, unusual. Good example is Bon Jovi. Like think about living on the prayer, you know, because the, there's there's harmonies there's probably, inside there. Yeah, there's probably two or three in there. But it's like scream harmonies, and so like if you're on stage, you literally just have to go back and go. Living you know, because there's like no really yeah, and definite and that's singing along, that's singing along on the chorus stuff. Yeah, and th- there's other bands that do that too. But this, this is a whole other level. We, yeah. When we get to the second track on here, uh, we'll, we'll point out that there's a three part harmony here that is it's so otherworldly to me. It's insane. It's, it, it, when I first heard it, it was jarring because I thought oh, that that that's discordant. Uh, that that doesn't sound right because it's so perfect that it doesn't sound right. Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, so you know, not only are they like heavy and very talented, but one of the things that has always, and especially with a couple albums prior to this, but really this is where they hit their stride, I think, is with the groove. Mm, you know, and we've groove. we've had a lot of bands that we've talked about, and you know how much I love bands that can groove. Right. And like this, this album is just full of groove, just nonstop groove. I mean, somehow these guys can be heavy and still make you want to tap your feet and they're right. singing weird things and they're heavy and the big guitar solos, but they just play with such swagger. Yeah. Such, I, such I, I think it's a word for it. Yeah. They know that they're good. They know that what they're producing is awesome and they come out there and they do it and they, they're humble about it, but mm-hmm. they, but deep down, I mean, they know they're good. You know, what's weird uh, that you say that is here Doug is, and he's going through this, this person. He is, issues. and he is, by the way, one of the most humble people. And so is Ty. So, and so Jerry, you, you see them in, uh, they're you so see them, friendly. see them live. You, uh, watch them in interviews they're the most humble nicest people and they always have been i mean and, and these are some of the people that consistently make these huge you know podcasts and award shows for musicians and yeah. f- music fans who love these guys they're so humble well i literally before i walked over here i shut my computer down and i looked at twitter one last time to see um if we had a new president <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what kind of horrible shit's going on yeah, in the world right now those time stamping this is the week that right, 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 yeah. uh, they, they stormed the capitol uh but just before this I is the week that here, 2021 i looked at 2020 and said hold my beer <laughs> yeah. before i walked over here i looked on twitter and doug Bennett i just posted a picture of um they're in the studio recording king's x is recording new stuff yes so just so that's happened, awesome right before i walked over here i pulled this up um but but doug has for someone who is going through so many issues down deep he has such a confidence when he approaches the microphone and now i have to say his vocals they have this soul feel and when you hear them I, I, I don't know how else to do this other than to compare them. I'll go ahead and do it now. He, he has a, a sound that sounds like Jimi Hendrix. And it just so yeah. happens that he's a, he's a black guy who <laughs> plays left-handed. Sure. That's uh, you're going and he, and he has these soulful, like, it, his, his voice is just so thick and so pretty. He, he has almost a, a real gospel yeah. soul kind of feel to yeah. what he's capable of, which once again is... Not something you get a whole lot of in metal. In um, metal or grunge or... I yeah, mean, if you go back to the... So, okay, this is uh, another very soulful uh, black singer of a heavy metal band, Living Color. Sure. Corey... Yeah. Uh, Corey... I can't remember. Corey something. So, yep. Sorry, Corey. If you, I, I, I forgot your last name. I apologize. I don't know who Vernon Howell... No, Vernon Howell. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Vernon something. There we go. Vernon Reed. Vernon uh, Reed. There Ver- you go. Vernon Howell was uh, uh, the, the Branch Davidians. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Fernand Reed was a guitar player. Yeah, I mean, uh, same kind of thing with Living Color, though, right? And those guys had some hits, but they yeah. probably did not have the success that a lot of other people 
maybe a lot of people thought they would. I mean, they were different, but they did break through. But it's unusual. Sure, you know, it's, sure. it's that you know, it is. There's. I would I would love for us to do Vivid on on this podcast. I would be fine with that. that. I think that's such a great album. That, that's a really cool album. That, and that came album. out in '88 or '89, uh, and it was yeah. very weird for an all black heavy metal band to be so big, and they were huge on MTV. They were massive. Yeah. Um, what was with the bodysuits, though? I mean, really? Spandex. I mean, that just happened. He was wearing, like, a body glove, like, surfer <laughs> stuff, you know? It's, it's absolutely true. Why is it that that's what sticks out in my brain, right? Like, the, Well, <laughs> <laughs> but he was singing that song, Cult of Personality, which was Which so is a big. fantastic song, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Anyway, we'll, we'll come back, we'll we'll get, back we'll to those. We'll come back to those. another guys. episode. Um, my, my point is that you have, these, uh, you have these guys that are such wonderful musicians, and most people don't know who they are. I, I agree, and... I'm very eager to get into the album at this point. Um, I, I, I will just say, as a huge fan, I've been a fan of these guys. I think I mentioned this when we first started, uh, when we did our song podcast, when we were talking about Summerland. I mean, I've been a fan of these guys since before I could play guitar. Yeah. You well, know, you're I mean, from Houston, so I mean, you kind of well, they were kind of proximity. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 I mean, they, they, well, they were they were definitely a local band before they were big. You know, sure. somebody that you'd heard about. Sure. You know, I had a. I think I mentioned this in the original podcast. I had a T-shirt signed by Jerry Gaskell from Out of the Silent Planet at one point. You know, really? well, um, and, and you were a preacher's kid, so well, I mean, you had you had that as I, well. Well, right? yeah, and you know, th- that's an interesting point. I don't know if I, I don't know if we talked about this on the previous podcast. So I don't want to repeat myself, but uh, yes, I uh, I knew them or knew of their music because of that circle. Yeah, you know, I was like, you, you you heard them on the radio, but it's by the same token, they were also there. And my dad being a minister, minister friends like. the they come over and like their kid, you know, I was allowed to listen to whatever I wanted to, but that was pretty unusual in that circle, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there might be some kids and they, they got a couple albums and if you're in Houston, King's X might be one of them, you know? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That, so, that's so, point. so tell me, were they the same as Petra or, or Striper? Oh, definitely not. Not, not even close. They, they, were, they weren't even that. But no, no, no. Because if you go back. So they, they don't know what they were. Even when they were playing in churches, they, they were too heavy for churches, Well, right? they didn't really. They didn't really play in churches. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but no, I, I know what you mean. So I think the differentiation here would be that King's X was a very talented progressive metal band who wrote very complicated, deep lyrics who happened to be, especially in the early few albums, a very religious band. Right. Okay. So their lyrics were influenced by what they were reading, what they were thinking, what they were doing. Their, their, Being, the, their theology, their theology what, was coming what, what, through. What they were thinking about, what they were talking about, that's what they put on down on the paper, and, right? And, and they were proud of what they believed and what was their truth. And they just went out and made music. Sure. Bands like Petra and Striper, those guys played to a demographic. Yeah. They, these were metal bands that basically, and, and I'm sorry if anybody's a fan, I don't mean to offend anybody, this is just my opinion on the subject. These guys were basically doing what Cartman, Cartman on South Park made famous many years later, which is you just take the song and you replace Baby with Jesus yeah. and then you're going to be successful, right? <laughs> you are the song To Hell with the Devil? A, yeah. yeah. What? What? I mean, come on, this is stupid. So it, it, they came out right after Shout at the Devil, so they were so just, now it's to hell it was with just the a devil. Motley Crue yeah. thing. Is all and it was, it was a big heavy rock tune. They yeah. were doing the same thing. I mean, this is just a bunch of guys that found a niche and just ran with it. <laughs> right. And so, Christian rock, um, I think I've said this before, it's like the Hank Hill, right? It's like you're not making rock and roll any better. You're just making Christianity worse. And <laughs> that's my opinion on Christian rock. And so all of those guys were terrible. King's yeah. X was not in they, – they were never lumped in with that. That was not their thing. I think they got an unnecessary amount of abuse for the religiosity of their mm-hmm. lyrics. 
but they did not tour as a Christian rock band. They did not present themselves as one. That was never something they wanted to be lumped into. Um, even Ty will talk about the fact that he was like, we didn't want to be, I mean, that was not what we were trying to do. We were just writing songs, man. Everybody else was writing songs about like, you know, banging chicks and doing drugs. And we were just writing songs about the stuff that we wanted to write yeah. songs about. You know, it, and it's, we it's didn't like, want to be lumped into that. But, you know? but they kind of have this like king without a kingdom type thing, a man without a country. Oh, sure. I mean, they're, they're illegal aliens in their own country. <laughs> they don't know where they're, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that these guys were so good at what they did. Uh, and they had such fervent fans. Sure. Um, but the rest of mainstream never got them. They never, like, never grabbed onto them. You right. Know? Uh, and, and I got to tell you, when I listen to it, I go, yeah, I don't know where those guys fit in. I, if I listen to this album, Dog Man, I don't understand where this this album fits in because it's different from all the other stuff that I heard back then. If I go back and listen to Gretchen goes to Nebraska, or if I listen oh, yeah, to sure. out of the silent planet, which was by the way, a quote of T.S. Eliot. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Christian uh, philosopher. No, not, yeah. I mean, not T.S. Eliot. Um, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I'm sorry. C.S. Lewis. Uh, so, I mean, th- these guys, wh- where did they fit in? You know? And, and yeah, I could totally see where they would get to the point where, they don't. They don't know where they fit in. They're so frustrated that they just go. You know what? We're just going to tear the doors open, and we're going to destroy every every norm that we know, and we're going to do everything different. And you know what? I think that is a uh, perfect segue. Yeah. Because I think it's time. I think we've we've said enough about the band. I think it's time to start talking about the songs. Absolutely. I, d- I do want to point out a couple things real quick. Go for it. Uh, engineer on this, the recording engineer was a guy by the name of Nick Didia. And uh, you will recognize that name if you are a fan of us. Because yes, because he was on. Uh, he was on the, the the Soul Hat album. That's correct. Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure. He may have been on that uh, Black Crows album as well. I need to go back and check. I think this may be the third Nick I, I think, album. I think he had done. credits on it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and, and Bob Ludwig did the master. I'm pretty sure he did at least one of those albums as well. Well, Bob, Lud- Bob Ludwig's a monster in, in music in this time period. So. Yeah. Uh, this was recorded on Atlantic Records, but it was recorded at the studio Southern Tracks in Atlanta, Georgia. This would be the third album we've done from Georgia at least. That's correct. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that the whole study didn't record in Atlanta they, I as think, well. I think they did. And so, uh, and how did approach, Atlanta yeah. become like the, the epicenter of... <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah. I don't know. But, but you never would think that. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Black Crows. Well, know, that would make sense because they're from a, the Georgia area. Yeah. But. So uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to briefly mention the artwork uh, because the artwork is really That's a good really call, cool. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to get into listening. Jump right in. Yeah, we're going to listen to this album. So don't go anywhere. Go grab a beer because that's what we're going to go do. And we'll be right back. Today's retail landscape is complex, but the goal to increase profits and build brand loyalty remains the same. Retail Dimensions, a development and strategic alliance partner of Retail Pro, has built the highly customizable RDI integration engine to seamlessly connect the sales activity from your point-of-sale system and e-commerce platform in real time. Go to RetailDimensions.com or call 503-644-5301 today to learn more about how you can supercharge your business with a Retail Dimensions RDI integration engine. Hi everybody, this is Dan Jablons from Retail Smart Guys. 
If you're listening to this Our Favorite Album podcast and you know Jason and Michael, then maybe you're in retail. And if you are, then you should know that my company, Retail Smart Guys, could help your company achieve better sales, greater profits, greater cash flow, and a whole lot more fun. So visit www.retailsmartguys.com or call my personal cell at 818-720-2585 and I'll tell you more about it. Attention retail store owners. Listen for yourself and your customers. RetailProDemo.com will Increase your profitability and efficiency. This tailored retail management software handles your front-end point of sale, improves customer experience, streamlines store operations and back-office applications with powerful reporting and analytics. With concierge-level implementation and hands-on training, Retail Pro, powered by complete data systems, will take your business to the next level. Visit RetailProDemo.com. That's RetailProDemo.com. For questions, for comments, for suggestions, or if you think we got something totally wrong, visit us at OurFavoriteAlbums.com. Find us on Twitter at OurFaveAlbums, on Facebook at OurFavoriteAlbums, and if you want to send us an email, do so at info at OurFavoriteAlbums.com. A quick shout out to our new friends at Two Songs, One Couple podcast. We love your work. I love your format. Uh, Jason, this is a new podcast that I came across. I've been interacting with him on face on, a, on Twitter. Uh, it's a couple. He's kind of a heavy metal guy. She's kind of a, uh, I think she's in the country and stuff like that. Oh, nice. They take a song a piece and they present it to each other and talk about it. Nice. I like that format. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Love your format. Looking forward to, uh, to new episodes at Two Songs onecouple.com. I also want to send a shout out to my buddy Tracy, aka Triggity. She has a hilarious new podcast available. It's at half-thoughts.com. That's half-thoughts.com. Uh, it's it's Tracy and her friend and they're just talking about whatever's on their mind and I got to tell you it is hilarious. Tracy, I can't wait to hear more stuff coming from you. Today, we are discussing the 1994 album Dogman from King's X, and this is one of Jason's favorite albums of all time. Yes, it is. Um, man, just such a, just a, such a fantastic piece of music from a time period with so many fantastic pieces of yeah. music, right? Yeah. I mean, this is like, like we talked about the first half, this is one of my all-time favorite bands, and this is my all-time favorite album by this band. Um, and this is... And this, that's unique in that. You know, we, we've, yeah. done, we've done albums so far that we both like, uh, because they are some of our favorite albums, but this is like, when, when we start doing... Like favorite albums. This is at the top, and I have to, it, I have, right? I have to tell you, to, you know, when you and I, uh, so if you if you're just joining us, you haven't listened to us before. When uh, Michael and I first started, we did a uh, top ten songs, mm -hmm. where he and I went back and forth. We each pick our top ten songs in order from you know ten to one, right? And we went back and forth, and uh, King's X was one of mine. But we had both kind of informally decided that we were going to hold off for a little while on bringing any of those bands. Yeah, and yeah, you know, we didn't want to just like be the one trick ponies like hey these were the 10 songs we like so these right. are the first 10 albums i'm gonna do that was only like seven months ago eight months ago nine months ago it was march when we first recorded our okay, first okay. There you go. So we're, we're we're getting close there yeah. you know um so i had had this on the list for a while but i just kept like gotta do something that wasn't in the top 10 you know <laughs> just keep pushing yeah. it back but then finally it's just I, I was like i gotta do this one because it's so much fun and it's just such a cool piece of music like I said in the beginning, just from a cool time that nobody's probably, not nobody, but that most of you 
out there have probably not listened to these guys. Sure. And you should, because this is so, so good. Well, and when we talk about our formative music, um, our coming of age, personally, when we start talking about uh, our formative times in music, it, it's so it's so easy for someone to go, well, my favorite album is this. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and so I, I think I would... The, the way that we did this is, like, if I came in here and go, okay, we've done our top ten songs, uh, three of my, or two of my top three happen to be from Tool, and so here's my favorite album ever. We're from Tool. Like, <laughs> Animal <laughs> right, from Tool. Right, right. Like, oh, man, can you guys please lay off the Tool for just a bit? It's like Jesus Christ, somebody turns down, I was like, what is this, the fucking Tool station? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? You know? And what's funny is I think this is our third um, album so far from 1994. We have definitely uh, hammered the 90s. Who, I have been, I have been who, very guilty of that. Who are you calling we? <laughs> <laughs> I said I have been guilty of that. I have hammered the 90s pretty aggressively. Yeah. Um, I need to probably back off on that a little bit. But there's, in all fairness, there's some really great music there, and this has not all been one-trick pony stuff. I mean, we've been all over the place. Yeah. So. And, well, and, and here's the other thing, is I probably have a list of probably three albums from 1994 uh, right. that, that I am looking forward to doing as well. Um, but if I'm doing a halcyon year, if 1994 truly is a halcyon year in our halcyon coming of age sure. in our era, uh, this is a halcyon album of that era, specifically from that year. So, Without question. So th- this tends to be like the peak of this entire formative time of there, our lifetime. Yeah, right? absolutely. And there are so many great albums from this year. And this is right up there. And, and there's bands, you know, we mentioned some of the bands. There are bands, there are other albums from this year to your point. We will come back and we will do 94 again. Yeah. And so it's, it's not even Multiple like, times. It, so. th- this is not just like taking a dice and, and rolling it and just so happen to get a Black Crows album, you know? Right, uh, right. This is this is one of your favorite albums. Yeah, there, there's, there's there's some thought put into this, obviously. Yeah. So, so uh, real quick, the album cover itself. Yeah, uh, this, let's talk about that. that yeah. it, it's such a unique concept, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's a little puppy dog. And it's not particularly uh, artistic or anything. It's a dog. It says King's X Dog Man, and there is literally a picture of a dog, and it's kind of in like a... Uh, it's it's reverse. They, they yeah. A polar reverse. And then for the album, I, I can't... Do you remember which color originally was like the, the, the one that they released? I thought they released it in four. So, so there wasn't a main color. I, I thought, I thought, if I remember correctly, that, and I, I may be wrong, but I thought if I remember correctly, they released it four different colors initially and so it's kind of like a lottery and the, the boxes just went out and you got what you got so uh the dog is in blue red yellow or green and so correct if you're looking at the episode art uh i have represented all, all four, four of, of them, them there for you correct. so that you can see this uh it, it refers to when it says dog man uh and we'll get into that with this very first song uh, by the way the cover was designed by leon alvarado the uh the title dog man I was from this song that they had, which the, the title track, which is going to be the first one. But that was not. That's not that. So Ty wrote this, okay. But when he wrote the chorus, it wasn't Dog Man. It wasn't Dog Man. It, it was, was Good, Good Man. Man. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because they they were making fun of, they were parodying, parodying uh, the way that record companies will kind of boost you up and pump you up and tell you how great you are and you know get like the whole have come inside boy thing. and have a cigar yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that whole thing where they're pumping you up but down deep they're just using you like a tool you know they're right. just they're, they're putting you on as a jacket to stay warm they don't really care about you right uh, individually and so it was good man and they were trying to figure out like good man it you know just doesn't really fit um 
and they were they were doing all these different words like something man, this man, that man, whatever. Uh, and I think one of them kind of said something stupid like dog man. And that uh, that's it. That's the one. Yeah, get into it. So uh, here we I, go. And I think that I think you had some notes on the song here, and I and which I remember reading this that somebody in the band when Ty came in, he said it's you know it's good man. They're like. There's no fucking way we're putting the good man on the album. That's just not happening. Yeah. Come uh, up with something else. So here we go. Uh, hey, we've let's got do it. Let's do it. 15 tracks on this. Is that right? Um, real quick. Yeah, thereabouts. It, it, I don't think that many, but it goes really fast. Yeah. So, uh, I so think it's 12. Yeah. A couple things I want to point 13, out. 13, 14, 14. 14. Um, and when we get to the last uh, track, the, the last track is kind of a special one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Jimi Hendrix just a minute ago. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to it, but just keep that in mind because there was a comparison of Doug Pennick to Jimi Hendrix, and I think that they probably put that on there as a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. I think it was, they were they, being they, ironic. Uh, maybe they played that track live quite a bit around got, that time period. They actually played it at Woodstock, by the way. So you got to have a lot of fucking balls, man, Dude. to cover a Jimi Hendrix song. And not just like for the whole band, right? Yeah. I mean, like the guitar playing, the singing. I mean, that that's it. And these are two different guys doing those two different jobs. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's twice the balls, if you will. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of Jason's very favorite albums. This is 1994. This is King's X, and this is Dogman. It's going to hit us hard right off the top. Ready? Do it. <laughs> He's playing a 12-string 12 string bass string guitar. Bass. Yeah. Uh, my bass guitar has four, four strings. strings. His has 12. That would be more, wouldn't yeah. it? Listen to the tone on this. There, there, there's a fatness from yeah. the 12-string that is just... You can't come up with that any other way. Yeah. There's your groove right off the top. Yep. You know, it's, it's Ty plays behind the riff like a blues guy. Yeah. So yeah. it's like blues guitar almost, but it's just this driving. And here comes the chorus. There's that soul you were talking about. Yeah. And here comes the harmonies. It's dirty and beautiful all at the same time. If he's saying, give me this, give me that, right, just yeah. like the record company, just shower them Just give up. it to me. Give me this, give me this. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't hit big, they'll just totally walk away from you. Go somewhere else, yeah. And also, there's a certain era of like nonsensical, just like phrasing, rhyming, bit, yeah. fun with it. Yeah. There's one where he says, give me some powder to throw in the air. Um, I, I thought that was kind of a thin lyric, but then again, I, I, I mean, what does it mean? When he gets to the uh, give me a skinny or give me a fat, on stage, he always made it very clear what he was referring to on that one. So. <laughs> Listen, he's a gay guy. So Actually, kids, that was a weed joke. That was a weed oh, joke, kids. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was a sex <laughs> This that. is so. That's on Jimi Hendrix to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's playing. Uh, Ty's playing some of those same chords that Hendrix played a lot of, which is what gives it that kind of funky dissonance going on there. Yeah. And now they're going to do like the big harmony thing, and I think this is where a lot of people get lost on King's X. Is they're into the groove, they're into the heavy, and then this three part stuff comes in, and it's different. This, this is the the praise music type stuff that I talk about. It sounds like praise music to me. This sounds like the Beatles to me. Okay, but yes, yeah, same idea. Though. Sure. Yeah. It's it's uh it's kind of 
sing-songy and lilting and happy. It's and kind of pussy music, you know? But, the, yeah. but it's not, which is weird because you have this juxtaposition of, of this super heavy thing going on underneath yeah. and around this. Yeah. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about before. I think this is why people can't pigeonhole them into anything because that doesn't go with this. Yeah. God, everything about that is so thick and rich. Fat is the only word I can think of. It's just the whole thing is fat. It's, it's insane. A, it's a definition of that, like the the Stone Temple Pilots and the Allison Chains. Yeah, these two just big, huge, huge sound. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a skinny. You know, it's funny that it doesn't sound that complicated to play. I mean, it doesn't. This is not one of those songs where you think there's just all these like blistering riffs and everything going on. But like Ty plays with such understated greatness. It's like Alex Lifeson. Like you can listen to Alex Lifeson play rhythm sometimes, or Eddie Van Halen. We did a big thing on Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You know, after he died, you listen to these guys play, and it's like, well, it's not that complicated. And you pick up the guitar and try and play it, and you go, "Holy shit, yeah. that's hard to do." You know, they're just better than they make it sound easy. The, the, the crazy riffy side of that is just, I mean, that, it's such kick-ass music. Well, you know, he, he takes, he does a lot of the broken arpeggios and stuff, which he admits he gets from Alex Lifeson. So, yeah. anyway, that was Dogman. Track number two, Shoes. And, and wow. once again. <laughs> Harmonies right off. If you bought this album because you saw them on John Stewart and you listened to the first track, you're like, I think I'm getting into this. And the second yeah. track comes like, what the what shit? This? Yeah. But it's going to get good. You well, stay and, with it. And right out of nowhere, hello, Melody. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, it's just like right out of nowhere. Where did you come from? And this changes th- everything. That takes so much balls to start a song like that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now they're going to get groovy and heavy and dark again. You know, this is great. Listen to how deep that, yeah. that growl of that bass. Is this the one that they tuned down to the C? Yeah, the, the, so yeah, the, yeah. yeah the, this whole album is C and then down to D yeah. on the drop D stuff. It's, just, it's crazy to me that he's playing a 12-string bass. So is he is he hitting three strings at a yeah, time? Yeah, so it's, it's three strings at a time. So it's much like a twelve string guitar. It's an octaves. Okay, but a twelve string guitar is six. Right. So this six is groups this of is two. Right? This is three. This is four of three. That's crazy to me. It is crazy. Yeah. I think the guy from Cheap Trick played one of those too. Really. And the guy from Pearl Jam, Jeff and Mint, we talked about. Earlier, he played an eight string quite a bit. So. Most of those guys change strings like before every show. Could you imagine? Can you imagine big? having to be the bass tech and change damn. twelve? <laughs> hey Doug, you want to play the four string tonight? No, no, no. You have to try. Oh, damn it! <laughs> but you're right. That that riff is so like heavy and deep, but it's groovy and like he's singing over it. I mean, this isn't this isn't metal, but it's heavy enough to be metal. Yeah. Until they sing this stuff. There's the that kind of here's the harmonies again. Yeah. Melody in the back. Yeah. Well, background vocals, yeah, arpeggios, Ooh, yeah. yeah. The, the lyrics are deep. He says there can be better ways from yesterday's to me. Somewhere there are better days for better ways to be. Sunny days have funny ways of quieting the roar. Is it still a blessed thing to live and live some more? So I mean, this is a guy who's who's struggling getting through every single day. Yeah, there's there's, there's some there's some darkness yeah. there. He, he's having a hard time. Like some days it's gonna be good, some days it's gonna be bad. But man, is it worth leaving living? Well, and it's funny because the lyrics are dark, but that is a uplifting 
amount of singing right yeah, there, right? Three guys just singing fists up in the air, but the lyrics are dark. Yeah. That's another that's another reason I go back to it. That's why you couldn't pigeonhole this album or these guys in general. Yeah. Like, you know, if Lane Staley from Alice in Chains was singing about being depressed, you knew he was depressed. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any doubt. You know what I mean? Like these guys they sound happy, but the lyrics aren't. It's it's all yeah. over the place. It, you know the 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 Alice in Chains stuff, like the the way those lyrics were written, they were Kind of nebulous, and they you know had no idea what the hell they were talking sure. about. And, and speaking of you know, harmony, Allison Chains did a huge amount of harmony between uh, Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley, but it wasn't this kind of like, yeah, like big, this. huge Beatles once again three part harmony. Well, I mean, this is every man in the band. I mean, this is like everyone literally has a part, right? Listen to that the drum. It's hitting it. Okay, so coming up next, this is Pretend, and this is one of my favorite songs on this album. And I have a few, uh, but this is one of my favorite ones. I love this song. Wow. And it's the groove, once again, is what really, really, really does it for me. I think that harkens back to a lot of their earlier stuff, and you can almost hear some of that late 80s kind of metal Guitar yes, stuff. like the bass is driving it, and he's just he's hitting, he's letting a lot of notes ring out, you know, which is uh, once again reminiscent that Alex Lifeson did that back in the seventies. You know, this yeah. is this is that, that kind of metal though. And listen to the growl on that twelve string bass. There's going to be a part up here in a little bit where the, everything drops out with the bass, and you can really hear what we're talking about on the twelve string. Yeah. It, it almost sounds like. Um, it sounds like a like a tear in metal, you know. Like yeah. like if you were to tear metal, it kind of sounds like almost like screeching, but it's a low growl. It's a, it's a weird. Yeah, sound. it's a weird. It's a really weird, especially when they tune it down this far. Yeah, yeah. is he pushing like an overdrive tone through? There? Yeah, he plays through a big. Uh, if I remember correctly, a big huge Ampeg rig. Okay, and so yeah, it's, he's, he's it, Ampeg. Yeah, yeah, so it's pushed, and so you're you're really driving it hard. This uh, twelve string guitar, by the way, is a Yamaha. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, he was play- the he played Yamahas at the time, and. Uh, Right around this time, or maybe the next album, Ty actually got endorsed by Yamahas and had a signature guitar from them, which I'm dying to get my hands on. So, I think he's based on a few of them. He's got his own signature bass amp. He does. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Is it the Doug? Is that what it's called? The U J. Maybe, maybe. Or D U G. With the U capitalized, because that's how he stylizes his name. So he stylizes it D, lowercase D, uppercase U, then G. Doug. Lowercase G. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I love the just driving energy on this with that droning note. It just never just keeps going and going, and they just keep racing with it. I mean, kind of like a Queensryche drive there, some of those riffs, you know what I'm talking even, about? Even almost like Iron Maiden a little bit, if you yeah, think well, about it. Yeah, They toured with Iron Maiden, did you know that? That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, then maybe they picked up a few things. Maybe they did. Hey, you know, Maiden was an insanely melodic metal band, totally. so yeah, that totally. would be a... Those guys sang. Okay, here yeah. comes the... Uh, like that real drop off where we're gonna hear that twelve string bass really loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Golly. Little groove over the top of it. And Ty. Such a great guitar player. So he's doing this all on the left channel right now. Yeah. I think he's gonna go to the right channel like halfway through, I think, on this. Is that right? I believe so. He's got rhythm in the right channel right now. Little tiny arpeggio. I mean that that soul gospel. Oh yeah, music there from Doug is. Oh yeah, very. Noticeable. Well, that's nothing but blues that Ty's playing. 
There it is. Yep. Switch to the right channel. Different tone, different guitar, different amp setting, probably. But you know what I mean? I mean, that's just that's just blues. They're just playing the blues. I mean, this is three chord, three chord blues, right? Yeah, there's three chords in the verse and two of the same three chords in the chorus. Yeah. You know. It's so well mixed, man. It is. Brendan O'Brien, you're a genius. Well done. Yeah. And from this album, they said every album that came after this changed everything yeah for him, th- right? there's a song on this album that doug said is the standard by which he did every mix from this album to now like he that's the song and we'll get to it, we'll talk about it. that's the song that he considers to be the best time they were ever mixed he holds every song to that standard wow that's really something if you think about yeah. it right well in, in this the sound of this has so it has so much ball like the ball it does. this is just like crazy big right it does I think this actually sounds ballsier than some of the other albums we talked about of the same time period, but it's definitely up there with... You can't compare them to Soundergarden or Pearl Jam because they have different sounds, but yeah. these are big, huge, well-mixed, well-recorded, loud albums by loud bands. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, this is a disappointment. No. It's a huge disappointment. It's a fade-out. It's a disappointment. If you haven't tuned in before, we hate, hate the fade-outs. fade-outs. Why would you do that? You spend all that time recording that song, but you fade the thing out. It's okay. A little background noise of me pouring some booze. <laughs> a little wine. A little wine. This is uh, Flies and Blue Skies. I think this is such a pretty song. It is. It really is. It's a simple little ditty. Yeah. His voice is almost as rich as his guitar t- or his bass tone. It really is, isn't it? It's almost like he's able to hit different notes at the same time. I mean, just how thick his voice is, you know? It, it's like this guy could have had a career uh, doing like Sam and Dave covers. I mean, this guy could have been in soul and gospel and booked rooms all over the country singing yeah. for the, his entire adult life if he'd wanted to. He's got that kind of voice. You know, uh, I, I did... Um, I did that bonus episode recently, and my number eight album was Bastards of Soul, and they did like old style, yeah, yeah, um, like R and B soul type stuff. I think it would be awesome to hear Doug sing Do that soul. style of yeah. music. Yeah. There's our harmonies again. I, I don't know where you put this though. You don't play this on the radio. I don't. I don't you, you don't dance to it. You don't thrash no. to it. I mean, we, we started off with like killing it, rock and roll, and then we get to this like kind of a sad ballad. That I don't. But you know, but well, once again, yeah, you know, to the theme of this, these guys don't fit into. You can't pigeonhole. This is either. not a love song. Like that line, the just and the unjust all live side by side. I mean, what, what are we doing? Theology here? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, this is not your average. And here comes Ty with a great guitar part. He says, "There is life. There is." death and the difference between either one is one single breath that's so deep man it is so profound and he's struggling so much like emotionally well and and the other thing is like he's the one delivering this and uh you know so for anybody that hasn't listened to a lot of king's x before 
all three of these guys take turns writing the lyrics, and without the credits in front of me, I couldn't tell you who wrote what, because when Doug sings them all, they all sound like he wrote them. Yeah. But that's not the case. I mean, they all take turns writing. And every so many albums, Ty will just be like, I'm not going to sing on this. Doug, you're doing the whole thing. Well, and this and, was and the and first this is album, one of those right? al- This is the first album yeah. where it was like, Doug, you're singing the whole thing. Every other album had Ty had some lead vocals. Or Jerry might even have some lead vocals. So this is the first time they just said, Doug, we want you to sing everything. And it makes sense. He has, as much as I love Ty's guitar playing and songwriting and background vocals, his lead vocals cannot compare to Doug's. Not at all. Not even close. Not at all. They're not even in the same stratosphere. No. I mean, they're kind of sweet. And again, they kind of have some, like, I don't want to call him. He is a... He, no, he he has got a really uh, exactly voice. I mean, kind, he, kind of a kind of a saccharine, sweet type voice. It's ridiculous. He yeah. should not be singing lead compared to Doug. That literally sounds like he's doing like a a solo at a at a funeral in Atlanta. Right, you right. Know? <laughs> everybody's wearing a hat. Right. If Ty's a big pussy on the vocals, Doug sounds like he brought a dump truck of everybody else's balls <laughs> with him to the to the recording studio. Right. But those guys, you know, not picking on Ty, you know, Ty and Jerry, their voice is great in the background. Those guys do incredible harmonies. And yeah. for everybody that doesn't like the harmonies, King's X doesn't exist without them. I mean, that is just, this is who they are. This is you. what makes them who they are. So, And just kind of that remnant of 80s pentatonic metal like the kind of metal metally blues rock kind of ballady thing going on yeah Yeah. but but he doesn't put that effort he doesn't have that stupid effort that right you know that that some of the bands from the late 80s you know like um gosh i don't know like like you know the whole motley crew dr feelgood type feel but this isn't that at all but then again it kind of you know, there's a little bit of warrant in here. There's I mean, a little bit of bullet okay. boys and type stuff, little, you know? A little gray white, if you will. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. but they all borrow from the same blues roots on the ballad stuff. Yeah. The difference is the guys that you mentioned and we were talking about, they took the, the cheese fest route with it. Yeah. yeah. This is the same music, just lyrically they're singing about something different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if this was warrant, they'd be talking about chicks. Yeah. And, and what... And not existential <laughs> crisis Yeah. And you know? What, what had happened about this point? King's X was making their greatest album, and those other bands have gone away. Oh yeah, they, they were they were lucky to be playing state fairs. Yeah, I don't think Warren got invited to play at uh, Woodstock that year. <laughs> no, <laughs> JD Lane. <laughs> oh my goodness, she's my cherry pie. I mean, he got the he got the final laugh because you know cherry pie has played at every single strip joint ever uh, weekend and will be forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was Flies and Blue Skies, and this is Black the Sky. Love the song. And this is a great song. And this is the one. And this is the one that uh, Doug said. This is his mix. So not only did they drop it down to that C flat, another full step on the top string. Yeah, yeah. This is this is what he compares everything to. Let's just listen. That is huge. That is heavy. That's a big sound right there. The way that just drops down like that. It is grungy. It's yeah, it's, huge. It's filthy. That's like Soundgarden dirty. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, what Doug said about this, he goes, this is the, probably my favorite mix of any song ever in my life. Oh my God, the guitars, the drums, the bass, the snare, everything was in your face. I love it. I love it so much. It was my dream come true. I'd heard Brendan's mixes for years. I dreamed of that sound for years, and there it was. This is the song I pull out to mix stuff against all now. Wow. You know, when you think of like heavy metal, you think, well, this is going to be like a really fast tempo. Your beat right. per minute is going to be like super, super heavy, so it's going to be like 120 to 140. But uh, shit, this is like a heartbeat <laughs> tempo, well, right? Is, I mean, it's like really this slow. Is that, this is that sludging stuff that like Black Sabbath gave us that Soundgarden perfected, yeah. right? Just like yeah. slow and heavy and pointed. Yeah. With Chris Cornell singing, this could easily be a Soundgarden song. Totally. Totally. And that's not to say it's derivative, just that's how deep and heavy. I, Soundgarden's one of my favorite bands of all time. I mean, that's a compliment. You know, and Doug was an older guy when this came out. He was damn near 40 at this point, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was easily 10, 15 years older than all the other guys. I mean, he's in his 70s now. He had a quote. Um, I wish I'd printed it out. I was reading where he was talking about talking to Chris Cornell because uh, they were recording Super Unknown. Soundgarden was at the same time. And that he and Chris were giving each other a hard time about the fact that they always like sing so loud, and that they were going to try and like bring it down a little bit, and not always like push the envelope so much on their next two albums. Right. First of all, that's interesting. But second of all, can you imagine how cool it is that you had a conversation with Chris Cornell about not pushing your vocals too hard on your next album? Yeah. That, that's amazing because that guy maybe has the best rock and roll voice ever. Well, and it goes to it goes to show what influence that King's X had on. Chris Cornell, who is the greatest vocalist of our generation, oh, without question, possibly ever. That, I mean, that, that mutual respect. I mean, you don't know if you don't know who King's X is. Realize these guys were playing in the space with their peers, and their peers loved them and yeah. respected them. That's yeah. how important they were. I have a quote that Doug said that he was doing this really low tune song, and he put a melody on top of it. And it was in the middle of a deep kind of depression and a midlife crisis where he was trying to figure things out. And he poured his heart out into the song, and this was how he was feeling. And so this really? mix happened to be his like favorite trophy mix with this place he was at in, in life where everything pivoted from this moment. Wow, you know? that's really cool. So it, just, it all just happened to hit just right. I could do without the hooahs. I could too. That would be my only... Uh, complaint here. I don't like the hoods. At the time, it was probably, it was badass. You know? Sure, yeah. The hood doesn't stand the test of time for me. But hey, if that's the only complaint you got about the song, that's not much of a complaint. <laughs> Marching hoods. <laughs> I'm okay. I can live I, without the hoods. I, I, I can deal with the hoods, though. I just, I'll take them. I can live without them. They're no do dooting doos is all I'm saying. Thank God for that. I mean, you would rather have a hua over a doodootin' dude? Any day of the week. Nah, or a shanana-na. Nah, 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 I'll take a hua any day of the week over a shanana, but not a doodootin' dude. Uh, dear God, you need help. <laughs> All right, this is Fool You. This is another one of my favorite songs on this album. So th- this song to me has, we were talking about earlier about like their struggle with uh, the music producers and people leading them through and everything. And This song has a seemingly like a really obvious like religious and spiritual overtone to it but i have always taken it as he's talking about that guy i mean he's talking about sam taylor like this guy came to me and i tried to listen i tried to do what he told me to do and he told me nobody else is ever going to be your friend 
you know, they're all everybody else is going to try and fool you. It's just me. I'm the guy because it's it's so bittersweet about the relationship. Do you think he was the whole walk in the big parade? You know, if you do what I tell you, you're going to get to you're going to get to play with the big boys. It's going to be you fine. Think, you think he was led on? Like he felt like he was he was led to a place he kind of abandoned because I, even Sam Taylor he talks about at this point they weren't really focusing on King's X because they had moved on right yeah well I think King's X felt like that he had led them in a lot of directions and then just kind of dropped them yeah. you know it's like they wanted to go somewhere and he didn't really allow them to blossom I said that's never seen any interviews that that was the take it's just always been my take on it so don't believe anything I'm your everything they will all try to fool you. Don't ever don't think ever you'll find another friend. And he's mad. I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty he, angry stuff. Yeah, he's definitely angry about something. And as much as I like these lyrics, let's not overlook that bass groove. That yeah. is fantastic. That big fat 12 string again. It's huge. I, I hope those of you who are listening at home, I hope you can hear that tone. Because it is... It's a monster. <laughs> I mean, it's so far down there. It's like an elephant walking, you know? Yeah. It's like, bow, 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 it's, it's, got, it's like gear shifting. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound like an instrument, really. It's crazy. And Ty's just doing... It almost sounds like uh, the edge from U2, the way he's playing, like, delay stuff and just letting it echo in the background. It's just, like, painting over the thing. Yeah. And Jerry Gaskell is—he's such a beast, dude. I mean, the, just the the way that he's just stroking those drum heads. The oh way yeah, he's absolutely. Doing that. He always plays what's right, and he plays it really well. Yeah, this is a big chorus. And here comes Doug singing "Soul" again. Holy Sue, the Jimi Hendrix comparisons yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Oh, mama, mama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. a lot of, lot of soul going on there. And because it's King's X, we have background vocals, we have an arpeggio, we have a whole thing going on. So. They always sound like themselves. And that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. A King's X. I mean, you, you could say like, who who do they sound like? Well, they don't sound like anybody. They sound like them. Yeah. Man, that's heavy. I, I could almost like close my eyes and picture this live. You know, like hearing them on stage and doing this. I I, I bet they're incredible. They'll, they'll make your feelings rattle. So are they? Are they very true to this recording? Yes. Yeah. Um, they, they have some songs where they might branch off a little bit and jam, but for the most part, they just get up there and crank the they crank the songs out. They are loud and they are perfect. I did see them one time uh, in Austin where they uh, started a song and like messed it up and like stopped and like all kind of laughed a little bit, like literally just had the uh, the self awareness to stop, look at each other, and I forget who it was. Like one was like, "I fucked that up, my bad," you know. And they all just kind of laughed a little bit, and the whole audience laughs. And they go, okay, let's try this again, and they kick the song off. You know, that's that takes some like major stones. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, or, the or you have fucked up real bad. <laughs> no, I just meant the uh, because the normal rule is if you mess up, just keep going, right, yeah. and hope nobody notices. I mean, yeah. the, to have the audacity to just stop and go, yeah, we're sorry, our bad. Let's do this again. This is don't care, which is a great riff. It's it's bass riffy, yeah. Which uh, again, like thinking back to '94, there was a lot of this on the radio. Yes. So why wasn't this? Why was this not on the fucking radio, man? Man, this should have been. Doesn't make this should have been right. Is yeah. there anything on '94 that didn't sa- that sounded better than this? No, or I mean, I mean, there's things that were at least this good, right? What, was Jar of Flies in '94? Was that '94? Yes. Okay. It, t- tell me how this is not as good as the stuff from Jar of Flies. I, I couldn't because Jar of Flies, by the way, from Allison Allison Chains. Chains. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not the same. You know, it's no, but I mean, different. that doesn't make it better or worse because it's not the same. Yeah. I, mean, I think this is as good as any of the other albums we've already talked about that came out that year. So, that riff, that like kind of walk down thing they're doing. And that guitar tone is stupid. Didn't you tell me that he had like he used to cover his amps? That was so, in the early days. Yeah, yeah, back like the first couple albums, he would uh, put like painted boxes around them so nobody knew what he played. Right. He quit doing that about this point. So I think they were into rectifiers, uh, Mesa boogies. I think they were doing Mesa boogies at this point. Gotcha. Um, they w- they did a audio uh, resource ART for a while. I mean, he's he's a gearhead. Like he hardly ever does the same thing multiple albums. He's always gotcha. He's like Alex Lifeson. He's always looking for the next way to sound better. Yeah. What was his guitar that he played? Uh, on this album, I don't think he had the Yamaha deal yet, so he was playing uh, several different things. Gotcha. Yeah. I think a lot of strats, actually. I, I think I remember on that Dogman video from was John Strat. Strat. I think yeah. it was a strat, yeah. When he went to the Yamaha, which was not too long after this, um, that's all he played for several years. And then he, I think he dropped his thing with them several years ago as well. I mean, this, we're talking about an album that's... Old. <laughs> 25, 26 years old. Yeah, exactly. Well, this came out in January of 1994, so this yeah. was recorded in 93. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, we're talking about a good... It's I'm been a while. 27 years, yeah. It's been a while. 27 years. 27 years. Was this your senior year in high school? Yeah, I graduated in 94. Yeah. yeah. Your junior year, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been 27 years. So. <laughs> exactly <laughs> not. <laughs> I got to start doing ad and ad well, Believe there. me, that's, that's not lost on me at all. <laughs> that build. da 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 Kind of that filthy, like distortion over the microphone. Oh, the vocals yeah. There. Absolutely. And the drums in the background. This is a band that could have, Man. like, just play whatever they wanted to. I mean, I, I, I mentioned Tool earlier. I mean, you could hear Adam Jones. Oh, that, sure. That, that absolutely. Kind of like riffy, like, over and over type 
I mean, Adams is a little more complicated than this specific one. Oh, absolutely. And he's a better drummer than Jerry is, technically, without question. But Jerry's the a Danny very... Carey, you mean? I was yeah, talking yeah. about Adam Jones. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, but this actually sounds like something Adam Jones would play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I had the drums in my brain, and I assume right. that's where you were going. I apologize. No offense. Yeah, no, this is an Adam Jones riff, without question. Yeah. 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 Actually, no, it's a tight Tabor riff, so... Yeah. And no offense to Jerry Gaskell, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, Danny's a little different. Oh, and that's what I was saying. I mean, piece, J- yeah. Jerry's such a great drummer, but Danny's like one of those. He's in like the top few drummers yeah. ever, you yeah. know. Although Jerry's killing it right now. Man, it just keeps going. Ask not what your color is. Living color, right? Exactly. That's kind of what that sounds like. So this is uh, track number eight. This is Sunshine Rain. I love this song. Very pretty song, yeah, isn't it? It is. I, I love the fact that it kind of starts out slow and ballady, but like the chorus is like this big, sweeping, beautiful thing. It's really cool. I, I gotta tell you that this sounds to me like a guy who's battling with depression and suicide, and uh, he's he's contemplating where he is in his life. And he even says, "The pain comes and goes. I always let myself down. How does the letting go?" It's just that way. You know, this yeah. is a guy who's fighting so hard with his oh, demons. The chorus on this is, which is something I just absolutely love, that whole line about in every forest there's a snake and the apple of my eye. So once again, we have the religious yeah. imagery that they just they can't back away from because this is it's it's what they know. This right? is what's in their brain, right? This is their fabric. But also, the whole, like, the apple of your eye, the snake in the forest. I mean, this is, I don't want to get too deep here, but this is imagery that everybody that's in Western civilization for 2,000 years recognizes the imagery, right? Like, he, when he wrote that, like, you understand what he's talking about. Like, yeah. temptation and pain and... Like, it's just... it's You know what he's talking about immediately. Yeah, totally. Well, and if it's temptation, you know, he, he so just wants to be able to admit who he is. You know, and if he is a gay man and he just wants to say, this is who I am, this is what I feel, you know? And, sure, and sure. He, he's battling so much that he just can't be that. You know, it, it, it's such a sad song to me. It is, but it's... It's it's sad, but that's what makes it great. So he just leaves it. He he leaves he leaves nothing on the table. He just throws everything he out. Throws there. it in there. Yeah. Like every single every single time. Not just lyrically, but emotionally. Yeah, like like emotionally in the way he sings. Yeah. It's just it's there, man. And once again, great background singing. I love when they get to the chorus. The way that they bend. Right here, listen to this. It's almost like he never took his fingers off. Yeah, Brett kind of slides around, like slides up and down in that weird step thing. There's a groove to that as well. I mean, they're they're just constantly playing with like this funk back end. It's really cool. This is almost like a self-help verse. Yeah, yeah. Feelings never go away. You just have to learn to live this way. What is he talking about? And keep yourself alive. But once again, yeah, he's dealing with identity here. Right, right? Once again, we don't know. Like, I'm assuming Doug wrote this, but we don't have like all three of the guys write songs. But hey, regardless, Doug's singing it like he wrote it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. This means something. That you have to learn to live this way and just keep yourself alive. That that's a cool, like a really positive line in a kind of a sad song you know like, there, there's not enough of that in a lot of that like everybody takes the, the the 90s grunge stuff as being so depressing and, yeah. and a lot of it was 
But it's nice to see some positivity in there. What What's astounding to me... I'm going to pull this down just a bit. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It's astounding to me that these guys are so in sync with one another that they do these little hiccup things where they will, like, dum 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 and they'll all, every single, all three of them will hit that at exactly. the same time. Listen, listen. I mean, that's... That is those syncopated rhythms. That is that, really, really hard. That to punctuation, get yeah, and they all get the punctuation right every time, yeah, perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. There are a lot of great bands that are not this tight. Now, and, and this is where that progressive rock, that proggy rock stuff comes in, because these three guys are superior musicians. Yeah, playing a superior level of like consciousness inside yeah. this music that, that has no definition at all. Yeah, exactly. You know? Don't show up unless you can hit the notes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, and we're talking about these guys. This is their fifth album, so they've been doing this for a while. Yeah. They just get better and better with each other. You know, if, if you've never played in a band before, you know, if you're out there and you like, like music a lot, there is something to be said for after these guys have spent 10 years together. They sound better because it's not that they play better. They've just played together. Yeah. You get to know each other. It's, it's like a, having a roommate, you know? Yeah, like a spirit. Yeah. Your period gets on the same schedule. Uh, <laughs> this is Complain. Oh, my God, what a great song. This song. This is the tour de force lyrics of what was going on in 1993, ladies and gentlemen. I love this song. He says, Bud Man asking us why. Ask why. China Boy Tiananmen Square, he's singing about right now. Yeah, so the, the Bud Man is there was a Bud Light commercial. Yeah, why ask why? why Try ask Bud why? Dry, yeah. yeah. So we got Bud Dry, Tiananmen Square, all in the same thing. So much easier. I love this song, man. It's just easier to complain, right? So this whole song is this juxtaposition in the verses of this is going on in the world and I can't make this happen. And this is going on and I can't. But it's just easier to complain about it, so I'm just going to move on. (laughs) I love that so much. I wonder what the take for my aching head. So he's thinking about people starving to death in Africa and he's got a headache. How am I clean this little tiny stain yeah. when the world's starving? These are such self-aware, yeah. like really humorous lyrics. Actually, this is a sense of humor that we don't see in King's X a lot. This is a funny, funny song. Well, and, and how like, it's, it's deep. It's I mean, it's he's talking about social issues that are so important. But it's the way he's having fun with it is for, great. For that moment, like 1993, he mentions Rush Limbaugh. Oh, I love last, that, right? I mean, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the line he, he has kept, really dated himself. Yeah, here. the line is kept well. You know what? Think about it. Uh, Mr. Rush Limbaugh is still giving us the facts. This guy's still on the radio. Facts? Well, he says facts in the song. I was just <laughs> quoting him. So I think he was being facetious about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Listen to that. That sounds like Alice in Chains. That yeah, that octave stuff. Yeah. Africa starves. A little baby drools. I try to figure out all the basketball rules. I complain. Well, that's and here's the Rush Limbaugh line for you here. What a great perspective. The treetops are falling, and the newsman yaks. 
thinking about Carter and how I'm going to be taxed. <laughs> Who's Carter? Are you talking about Jimmy Carter? He can't possibly be because that was 20 years earlier. Yeah. I don't know. This is 93. I don't know what the reference is there. I, I've always found that line amusing about the Rush Limbaugh where he goes, Mr. Rush Limbaugh giving us the facts. You know, it's such a derogatory way to phrase it. It's pretty yeah. funny. What a kick-ass song that That's is, man. That's such a great song. Golly. So in case anybody was curious, Rush Limbaugh was a windbag in 93, too. <laughs> this is not a political show. I'm just saying for points of history. Beautiful. God, what a, what great, a great song. song. What a great song. song. And if, if you ever... It's so fun and sing-along. Uh-oh, here we go. Again, a slow drive. It's kind of heartbeat tempo, man. And this, is like this, this might be the heaviest song King's X has ever written, I think. You can hear the grunge in this, right? Absolutely. Superior musicianship grunge. Listen to the drums on the around the riff. That's a sick riff. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Crazy. But again, those guys are all like on beat. Well, that's on what makes us work is they're, they're right on time. Yeah. But that's just doom, They're hitting the same note just right perfectly. I, it's not a downbeat that they're hitting. It's a, it's like the, the E of the one E and a. Yeah. Like one E and a. And, and, it, it, and, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love when a singer will push their voice to the point where it breaks. It kind of breaks, you know? and that's what he's doing right yeah, here. Yeah, and he's like pushing it, but he also has this like texture to to his voice. That's he's got so much control that even when he pushes it, he can kind of handle the push. Yeah. I wonder at seventy or seventy-two or how old he is now. I, I wonder if he. And I, I know he has to drop it down because you know you just. But you they were already still dropped down. How could they drop? If they dropped any further, they'll yeah, be but able. To, but he's way up here, though, right? I mean, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, if, yeah, I wonder if he could push like he used to be. I got gotcha, gotcha, I got gotcha, you. I got you. I haven't seen him in 20 years, so I don't know. I wonder if they write music. You know, I wonder if they actually write charts or if they're just doing like a tablature or what they're doing. Yeah, I think in the uh, the early days they would take turns like demoing songs, like walk in the studio and be like, "Hey, this is the finished product. Go ahead and you know, play your thing." And this, I think, they just kind of made it up. Like you bring in a riff and just figure out what you're going to play around it. Yeah, but what I mean is, do you think they actually like took a treble clef and a bass bass clef and they're like, "Note, note, note." I don't. Rhythm, rhythm. No, I don't at all. I think. Uh, if Doug wrote this riff, he was like, all right, it's, uh, we're tuned to this, and it's F and then G, and then it's this, and I'm going to go back to this, and Ty went, okay, cool, and they went. Wow. I heard Wynton Marsalis once say that uh, those who can't practice, those that can't play. That's probably, I think they're just playing. Wynton's one of my favorite musicians. I, well, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah, he's ridiculous. That dissonance there. 
yeah. is really cool. Kind of like in and out of focus. Yeah, wow, that is really wow, cool. Wow, that wow, note wow. ringing, that yeah. it's like kind of out key, but not really. This would have sounded badass on my car stereo in 1994. <laughs> in yeah. right? my, 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 my 212 Rockford Fosgates. This would have sounded amazing. It would have sounded awesome. We should have hung out in your car. Of course, I was in Houston and you were in Princeton, but... Had we hung out in 93, 94 listening to this, we could have had your car stereo. I would have brought the weed. That just, that driving just pounding beat is so cool. It, you know, once you get into this, you forget that it's a slow tempo song. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. This is a slow tempo. There's so song. much energy. Yeah, but it, it's like so build, build, build. I mean, it's, it sounds like that's heavy metal. That's not heavy metal. That's what's so grungy about it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of this filthy tone in it, like a super heartbeat slow tempo. It's not much of a tempo. It, yeah. Oh man, his voice on that is unbelievable. This is cigarettes. Track number 11. This is a fun song. You not a fan of this one? Okay, so I, I like the ballad aspect of it. It's kind of fun. What I really like on this, there's a point where they get it musically, there's a point where they get to the chorus, and he does that sometime, and they hang on that note, and they drop. When we get there, I'll point it out to you. It's really cool. I, I, I get that. I, I think It's a like big the, hook. I think it's neat. I think when you play the, the ballad that's supposed to be like a homeless guy talking, you know, that... Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think this is the homeless guy ballad. No, it's not. Have you got any cigarettes? It, it's not no, this is like his roommate. He's like strung out on drugs, or he's depressed, or whatever. And he comes back and says, "You at least bring some cigarettes." That's what I'm talking about. I love that chorus piece there. Once again, this is back to okay, those I, themes I, of depression, and he's just like kind of stuck inside himself. I get whoever it. this I get is, it. you know. I get it. I, you know, when I'd listened to this before, I'd always put this as a homeless guy that's asking, you got me cigarettes? Did you bring some cigarettes? Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, okay. And that's what bugs me. But now that you say that, when you look at this as someone who's dealing with depression and yeah. someone who's dealing with, with crises, you know, then suddenly, then you know, this actually has, it's actually a pretty poignant song. Yeah. Now, think about it. But is it June or late September? I mean, man, you have to be really out of caring to forget what month you're in. But that happens to really depressed people, unfortunately. Is this how I'm supposed to be? Wow. Man, I'm totally changing my entire opinion about the song. <laughs> well, cool, man. That's what we're here for. It's like folks are getting to like witness the transformation right here. <laughs> right, right, right on, right on tape, if you will. Well, the depression on this, I mean, it, it, it really makes... Yeah. Like, you go to a friend and you're like, man, how long, how long I mean, has it been since you've been out of bed? I mean, you, you've, had, you've had friends that suffered... From sure. deep depression, yeah. I've had I've, friends I've and family, yeah, I've, I've I mean, family yeah. members that suffer from deep depression, and this is this is the story they're singing about, right? Like they didn't get out of bed, they don't know what week it is, they have no idea what's going on. It's like, did you at least bring cigarettes? Just bring some cigarettes at least, right? You know. I, I know and I, I think the chorus is actually. This is just my opinion. I've never heard anybody in the band say this, but I think the chorus is from the person, the point of view of the person who's talking to the depressed person. So. This is like a conversation back and forth. Where it's like, did you bring me anything? I haven't gotten out of bed. And the chorus is the other guy going, "Man, this pain—the pain that you're in—just blows my mind. I just—I don't understand how you're 
what's going on with you. I think it's a back and forth conversation. Or if not a conversation, two different opinions, if you will. Two different points of view. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, this is a pretty fucking good song. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I've always read this as a homeless guy. Right, right. It, it, it bugged the crap out of me. No, I think this is about a depressed yeah. person and the person that's trying to take care of them. Yeah, that's the and the other person's like, oh, this pain, this pain you're in, it just blows my mind. I just don't understand it. And not only that, but the musicianship on this chorus. This is such a big, huge, super great hook. You've convinced me. All right, hey man, I'm here for you. This is uh, a fun song for Ty because he's basically doing like his Alex Liveson thing where he just plays arpeggios all over the place and then Doug's just playing this bass line like underneath him and just like guiding the song. Well, even On the that, chorus anyway. That little riff he's doing right there, I mean, that even has a different texture now that I think about it. Like now that I put this in the perspective of, of what you're talking about, like that, that's, even the sound sounds lonesome and kind of despair. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, was it, when when you get to spare in that sound, yeah. But when right? you get to the chorus, when you're talking about the other person, this is the big, loud, angry, if you will, the huge one, right? It's like, yeah. ah, I don't, why? Wow. I have to say, uh, you and I have known each other for a long time, and we've been doing this podcast for a little while. But it's very unusual that I ever catch something in the lyrics that you don't. I'm normally the guitar guy, and you're the lyric guy. <laughs> it's all about perspective. You know, uh, that's a good point. And I've been listening to this for a long time, so obviously my opinion is probably wrong. Doug Pennick could like kick the door down a second and go, man, you totally got the song wrong. But that's always how I've thought of it. I don't know. I, I think Doug is a deep enough guy that he would, I think he would appreciate that kind of, uh, like, introspective, like, be open to what this could be. You know, that, uh, I, I think you're probably I, I, right. I would like to think that someone like him who is who is that high-minded and that deep could possibly look at this and go, I can see where you I were see where coming, coming from. from. That's not where I was I, coming from yeah. when I wrote it, but yeah. this is, yeah. It kind of this, like, ethereal, kind of up in the clouds, like, sound that David Gilmore type sound that's up here that well, I was and, playing with. And this is something that they've done on the albums going all the way back to the first album where they will occasionally have a song, a Pleiades off the first album where there's just this long random guitar and that fades out which of course man I hate a fade out. Hey we, we've had two which is too too many as far as I'm concerned. Okay so this is the shortest song on the album. It's, this is called Go to Hell. Love this. This is like a punk. Like almost like a huge big punk thing just like thrash it out and get out. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Like that kind of... There it was. Yep. <laughs> love it. I love this song. So the lyrics, if you can't hear them, is, I don't want to go to hell. Nobody in their right mind wants to. But very few have done the right things they have to to get to the promised land. Man, that's like total industry of... Yeah, absolutely. stuff, right? Is it tongue-in-cheek? Are they laughing at themselves? I don't think so. I think they're having some fun with it. But not in a tongue-in-cheek way. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe a little bit. They're definitely like... They're trying to pretend to be like punks here, right? Yeah. 
that overdrive, like pushing the vocals there, that sound. So this is Pillow. Uh, this was a uh, very popular song to the fans. This is one of the three songs that was released as a single that did not chart. Dogman is the only song off this that charted. Really? And uh, interestingly, the last song they ever released that charted. Really? Yeah. They released four songs, so there's Dogman charted, the other three did not. Nothing on tape, tape head charted. Isn't that a surprise? Yeah. And Ear Candy, which is the next album, which was written literally to, to chart. I mean, they really tried to have some real radio-friendly stuff on there, nothing. This has got such a great, like, heavy rock groove to it. I, this is... It's, it's such a grudge, grunge template to me. You know, very rarely do I like to hear a singer sing over... The, the same melody yeah. line. Yeah, yeah we uh, talked about that before. That's yeah, not- that, that Ozzy Osbourne stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, Ozzy, 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 that kind of stuff. But it really works on this. It does on this song. I, I'm not a fan of it either at all normally, but I like it here. Well, and what's funny is like he's already playing three strings. And then he's singing on top of it, plus Ty is playing. So right, and, and singing. Maybe it's that texture of like the background vocals that Ty is kind of throwing over the top. Maybe maybe that's what makes it sound so different than normally just, singing over the Yeah, course. the Aussie thing you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly what it is. And we actually get to hear a riff there on the 12-string, which is basically just sounds like mud moving quite a bit, you know, yeah. just because it takes up so much space. That sounds so much like the Tool stuff from Anima. Yeah, it no. does. And Anima's 95, 96. 96? Okay. You know what? You're right. It really does. Yeah. Like you think about Stink Fist and kind yeah, of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Think they were listening to King's X or they just had similar ideas? I mean, they had to have run up against each other, right? You would think so. I, I mean, mean it, during this time period, especially between Sober and Enema, because Sober had, came out in ninety three, ninety three, yeah, okay. ninety two. But I mean, they they had they, they switched from uh, Baltimore to Justin Chancellor. Justin Chancellor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so the bass really changed, and then Justin kind of had this like heavy strike. He had a real on attack. The yeah, yeah, real like attack, the, like the really base. hard yeah. attack. And so I mean, you can kind of hear those strikes inside of here. Where again, it sounds like metal being torn. It's, it's a, a much very, more very aggressive. Rumble. Kind of the way Doug is playing on yeah, sound like yeah. a real aggressive bass sound, yeah. But you know, Doug actually attacks those strings pretty tough. He does. Well. He hits it hard. Yeah. Well, you know, Adam and Ty, as we were talking about earlier, have some similar progressive rock yeah. influences. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. It makes total sense. God, it's so thick. Oh. <laughs> it's like a thunder. Clap. Yeah, exactly. Such a huge, fat sound. Yeah. 
guys are such great musicians. I mean, they, they really are. You know, and their composition, the way they put stuff together, is is really cool. Uh, I I really consider that song to be the last like true song on the album. That is the last song on the album, but we do have a cover on here. Yeah. So, so the the last song I've, I've mentioned Jimi Hendrix a couple times. This is their version from a live performance of Manic Depression. And uh, so I always have a. Uh, I love this version, by the way, but. Jimi Hendrix is one of those guys. Whenever a band covers, covers Hendrix, I kind of go, the, ah, "I don't know. Should you do that?" Because Hendrix is Hendrix is special. But of all the songs to pick, they had to pick this like six eight waltzy type, right? Bow, 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 you know, just like the real complicated one. Yeah, the one two three, one two three, just like a really weird. I have to say, I think I think they nail it. I'm always skeptical, like I said, of Hendrix covers, but I think they do a good job with this. I'm always skeptical of the live song thrown into a recorded album. Yeah, that's a weird move, right? But this one had a reason. They put it on here because, maybe because of the influence they had of Jimmy. Well, and they were know? playing this a lot at the time, and maybe they were just like, we got a good recording of this, let's just throw it well, on here. Well, and it's manic depression. He's talking about depression. Maybe so, it, just, you know, maybe it, it bookends the album yeah. nicely. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, in this interpretation, this expression uh, of, of, of doing this, Again, if you're going to do a Jimmy song, man, you've got to really come... Do it right. You've got to come original. You <laughs> come I mean, correct. You've got to make sure that you're really hitting this thing hard, right? Um, and they, I think they put a signature on there. Well, while, I think so, too. While also, that you know, the vocals that he has are really harking back Paying to Paying real Jimmy's homage. Soul, yeah. Know? Well, and the thing with Hendrix is everybody thinks about Hendrix, and Hendrix, obviously, should. Hendrix, fantastic singer, great guitar player, so influential. Everybody tends to forget how great his band was. Yeah. Three piece, yeah. And so, if you listen, if you listen to what Jerry's doing here, he's playing the drums like the original, and yeah. it sounds great. This is not an easy song to play. I guess is the point I was trying to make. It's not like they picked "Hey Joe" and just like soloed over for twenty minutes, you know. I mean, you can you can dance to this one. Oh, absolutely! Like you're in a waltz. <laughs> you just do a waltz. A fucking box waltz at a King's X album. All right, King's X concert. Yeah, here Ty is just gonna have some fun with it. Obviously, Hendrix is one of his heroes. But but that's distinctively Ty. You know, that, yes, that's, that's his Ty. sound. That, that's that's him. That he's yeah. not trying to sound like Jimi Hendrix. That's him playing guitar his way. They all come from the same place with the blues, and obviously, you know, anybody that grew up playing guitar grows up learning some Hendrix riffs. Yeah, he's kind of the god. You know, one of the gods. <laughs> it's funny hearing bass. From a, a Jimmy song, because you know those mixes in the '60s, they just kind of cut all the bass, cut out. it out. Yeah, which is unfortunate because that guy was really good. But. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they just, you know the mixing boards. This just didn't really do it back then. Yeah. yeah. So like this, like you hear that low rumble of that twelve-string bass that's back there. It, it adds something nice to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and maybe the plus side of having this song at the end of this album is. For anyone that was not a King's X fan, maybe you listen to the album, if you're kind of questioning whether or not they're as good as everybody told you they were, when you actually get to the point where there's a recognizable song, which is a really complicated Jimi Hendrix song, which is a famous song, and you listen to these guys blow it away live, maybe that's the exclamation point, right? Maybe that's where they go, hey, look, we really are as good as everybody said we were, yeah. and now we're going to prove it. Here it is. 
By the way, this isn't as complicated as a lot of stuff we play on this album, but here's a complicated song for you. Yeah. Have it. I'm with you. Five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. I love that. I mean, it takes a lot of balls to do a 6-8 song. It, it does. Man. It does. And Jerry is back there just like going. Killing it. Bananas. Just on the, going nuts. Yeah. And it's a pretty true to the original cover. I mean, it really is. They didn't go crazy on it. They basically played the same song, just played it their way. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of laugh and scream on the way out. When he kind of did that Jimmy laugh too, that <laughs> uh, yeah, dumb Jimmy. <laughs> well, what, what do you think? Did we do it justice? Man, I, mean, I, I think I think so. Um, such a great album. I mean, this is uh, just a fantastic one. I, I think we did it justice. I do. Um, you had a lot to add. Y- you know, what, I had a lot to say, but I, I had a lot to say about an album I've been listening to for a long time. I mean, you've, so. you've had twenty-seven years building up to this point, you know, and and. Then when you finally get a chance to like, um, when you say it that way, I feel like I left some things out. You know? <laughs> well, it's 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 like a like, like an attorney finally gets to the Supreme Court. Like this is my chance. I'm arguing a case. I've I'm, always I'm, wanted know, to do this, right? Yeah. In front of the Supreme Court, and you get up there, and you're like, <clears throat> "Excuse me, can I get some water real quick?" <laughs> you guys, can I get five minutes, please? No, I, th- I think we did it justice. Um, you know, obviously, I wanted to talk about this because of how much I love the album. What a fantastic album it is. How long I've loved it. But I hope you know we have a. Uh, we have a few people that listen to us on the podcast, and uh, I hope that somebody will, uh, who's not a King's X fan or has never given them a shot, will at least take this opportunity to pick the album, like like we do with all the stuff we listen yeah. to, right? You know, just that, that's kind of the point of this is, you know, pick it up, give it a listen, because I think you're going to find something you like. Well, and, and this is definitely an album that I wish more people knew about, you know, and, and, and sure. this is a band that I wish more people knew about, and I think that these individuals in this band. I wish more people knew about because I, I think that all of the band and the members and this album and the history of this band is very compelling, and I think it Absolutely. tells a really interesting story. Uh, but more so than that, this is uh, this album, King's X Dogman, is definitely one of our favorite albums. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you very soon. Thanks for hanging out with us. Our Favorite Albums podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests only. All copyrighted material is presented for review, criticism, or critique on the content rights are reserved by the copyright owners. This is a production of Our Favorite Albums. <laughs>